0: Depths of lockdown in Dublin. Although, for the first time in 36 or 7 days, myself and Don are together again this weekend. Hello. Hello. And we're celebrating the uh, anniversary of COVID. Happy birthday, COVID.
1: COVID? My, how
0: you've changed the world (laughs) and grown up so quickly.
1: Is it COVID's anniversary? Well,
0: we were Panda. listening this morning, we were planning just doing a little sort of in bed, what are we going to talk about today? And we listened to our first podcast, or a point, which would be where the two of us mentioned COVID, which was exactly a year ago. Now, Next, don't
1: be shy. What we're months. doing was, as we, what, what we always do when we're in bed is we listen back to old episodes of ourselves talking.
0: Yeah. Getting off on them. Yeah. You were really good in that one. <laughs> thanks. I really thought, You're so
1: funny.
0: I really thought that point you made was brilliant. Mm, thanks
1: really quite touching.
0: Anyway, COVID is a year, and it was interesting listening back. We got quite a few things right. The Don, uh, it's the episode with Tony Piggott, so it's I think 140 or something, but 48. But um, she got a lot of things right. It was the time when Bernie was looking like he was going to be the lead candidate. And and Don was saying that's not going to work and they're going to have to go for someone like Biden. And we were talking about the COVID pandemic being with us for the rest of the year, which not a lot of people thought at the time. And I was kind of pitching that.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, we were great, in fairness. No, what's, what's funny was listening back to it. It was like, it's not even that we were naive, but there's like a fucking happiness to our voices. Do you know how giddy we were? <laughs> you listen to it and go, this isn't funny. But also, like when you're thinking back, things were only starting to get exciting. <laughs> it's like a snow day but it's going to go on for quite a bit longer than a day and it's not snow it's a pandemic
0: but i mean on a more serious level the last year has been like the decimation of news the rise of absurd conspiracy theories which started a lot obviously with Donald Trump but also with covid and also his reaction and we have some edit we have some cuts in the in the show of Donald Trump just saying it's all going to go away all that kind of rubbish that went on and people were saying, you do you and I do me and don't wear masks. You know, uh, we're just, as a species, fucking inept. I mean, we mm. are. We're inept. If that, had been a, if that had been a meteor coming to hit us in, in six or eight months, would we have got something up there? Would we have managed to shoot it out of the sky? Would we, you know, no, but we'd like have so many, like many talk show programs yeah. about
1: who's fucking it up.
0: Or that it's not really a meteor. It's a hologram coming from outer space and it's, it's going to pass through us and spread energy throughout the world. And we're all going to be filled with the energy of this thing. So we just <laughs> let it arrive and, co- you know, there'll be people sitting on top of mountains chanting at the thing as it gets bigger and bigger in the rear view mirror. As COVID did, uh, something so tiny, as we said, something so, so, so tiny can bring the world to its knees there is a great theory that says, you know, this this is the world saying, you know, guys, you're not doing what you should be doing to protect the planet and the planet's going to hit back.
1: Yeah. And a year on, some of the stuff that we would have said at the time was that like, it's we're going to learn a lot about ourselves as a species. We're going to, you know, it might force people to be more socialist or just to be less selfish because we're in the age of me, me, my, my special diet, everything, me, 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 me. because we didn't have crazy diseases anymore because medicine has moved on but now that we have one suddenly everyone has to stop giving a shit about their private protein shake and me 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 and actually how we behave in the community affects everybody's health it's it's a global thing it's gonna have an impact that people are gonna have to be less selfish because we we're gonna be more dependent or we're gonna have to really understand the interdependency in communities but like realistically more likely than that i would say the societal impact will be that people are going to be a bit more like fuck it i won't um, people would be more nihilist like a year of kind of going I mean I can even see when the kids are on Zoom and if they're on Zoom with their teacher or whatever like that would have been unheard of a year ago like you're you're seeing a teacher outside of their natural habitat like we all know teachers don't actually have houses they're not humans they they live upside down hanging from the ceiling in the classroom all night mm-hmm. and everything's just no we couldn't possibly and now the norm is people are sitting there chatting away to their teacher in their teacher's house yeah. and everything's just like nobody's that fucking important anymore.
0: But I, I also look back and I mean, I'm, I know I'm curmudgeonly at the best of times but you know I look back and I go well what, what exactly was so great? You, you look about before times what did we do? We went to restaurants we went to bars we went to clubs we went to plays you know we were able to go out mm. which is mm-hmm. good but like we were still vapidly spending time doing fuck all with our lives you know like working you know commuting to work for two hours a day doesn't happen anymore but well, what can you do with those two hours? Probably the capitalist machinery would say we could spend two more hours working but we have so much wrong and it just showed it up and, it, yeah. and it's so much drudgery and so much kind of you know like mental illness has gone through mental illness was through the roof anyway yeah. people were fucking going lally living the life that we were living anyway i get that it's it's it feels like a kind of a, a, a prison situation yeah but we're also lucky we've said this before that we have every movie every book every everything to to entertain us every bit of food i'm saying this from a privileged perspective i get that there are lots of people who don't but in most of ireland most people have access to television to books to food you know we're lucky in that and those that didn't when we didn't have the thing anyway it was it was a problem that needs addressing across the board i mean am i being mean
1: or yeah you're being really cranky now (laughs) (laughs) But it gets in my tits when they start with the mental health thing or the mental illness thing specifically because first of all no one gave a shit before and now stop fucking wheeling it out because it suits you and second of all I have an issue with the fact that everyone seems to decide to throw around the words mental health like confetti the past 10 years. Mm. Mental illness is a fucking thing. Mental health is different thing like everybody has mental health how you are everybody goes through issues and I'm not saying that those issues aren't important I think like a lot of people that die by suicide aren't mentally ill but they're in a very bad space so it's not that those things aren't as important or real but it's a real fucking problem when we start pretending it's all the same thing it's fucking not the fact that half the country is on antidepressants is a problem not because antidepressants are a problem but because they're not fucking clinically depressed and when we just fuck around words like mental illness till they lose all fucking meaning you're kind yeah. of going literally no, it's actually really underfunded. There are people with severe mental illnesses that need hospital beds. Like there are people who are dying because they're not being looked after properly. Yeah. That is a fucking separate issue to the fact that life's a bit shit for quite a lot of people that are not mentally ill. So I, it's not that like it's great that we all want to fucking hug and hold hands and talk better feelings now, grand happy days. But I think it's actually quite dangerous. And I think it also like if you go to the GP and say, look, I haven't been feeling great, you know, it's. I'm just, I'm not going out with friends as much. I just, there's nothing wrong, but I, I don't feel great in myself. And, you know, my mother said, maybe I should nip down and have a chat with you. And the GP goes, well, yeah. So look, tell you what, I'm going to put you on, it's only a light one, a bit of Lexapro, put you on that. See how, see, just, you know, and maybe make a phone call and, and see so you get a bit of ca- counselling. That person has now decided that they have a mental illness and they have now labelled themselves as somebody who's clinically depressed. Mm. And chances are, they're you're going to wear that hat throughout your, throughout your entire life when in fact that person was going through a difficult space and and may have needed medications time but there's like they were medicalizing every fucking problem
0: yeah medicalizing and capitalizing i mean it yeah. was just this this meaningful christmas things Bollocks. like this and, and the biggest pig fucker brand in the world is ryanair it is a brand that nobody likes no one who works for the company that i've ever met likes working for the company except for maybe their boss when if you invest in it as a shareholder it's a grubby investment yeah you maybe make loads of money but the it's like investing in cigarettes or oil or something. Yeah. And they're coming out with their vax vaccine go campaign and getting people all jazzed up for the summer. And, you know, I think, oh, yeah, we, we, we're entitled to run our business. And it's just completely morally fucking wrong. I hope Ryanair burns, actually. I it is. It does.
1: However, I've, I, I have a theory. We then have the separate problem of making sure people take the vaccine. And we need to have a certain amount of people taking it up. Now, I believe that people are so fucking selfish that, when I mean, you're going to have the fringe elements that go, I'm not taking any vaccinations. I don't take any... All of that shite, but you also—I would say like seventy percent of the people that are saying, like that. Any time I see it on groups on Facebook, whatever, seventy percent of the people are going, "No, I'm not getting that. I'm not putting anything natural into my body." Mm, yeah, we all saw what you're railing. You. We, we all saw what you railing up your nose on the back of a fucking cistern last mm. year. But okay, the minute you tell them that there's a special deal with Ryanair. But Spain's actually not letting people in if they're yeah, not but vaccinated. Like, in there. No, no maybe I know, maybe but you
0: can't buy booze without it. Here's a booze card. But you the have to thing be vaccinated is, the, the minute... But you have That'll to fix Ireland.
1: Yeah, but you need these cunts to be or, to be advertising like this to have like the Honzos kind of sit there and go, "Oh, my holiday, I yeah,
0: want to get that." I don't that. agree. I think it's 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 a medically incorrect what they're saying. You know, yeah, you can't you, once you vax, you're not immune from this thing, and you can also spread it. That they, they think, and also they haven't paid back the a lot of the people who, who uh, booked flights last summer they did the same thing they were bombarding my email with hmm. but, but fly now there's cheap flights available you should buy them you can always get them refunded they haven't refunded them they also are a very cash rich company oh yeah everyone hates well, them they're awful it's just here,
1: it's just interesting to kind of watch that even shitty things like that can have might have an interesting effect
0: capitalism has been exposed big government is back and it means business whether you like it or not uh, and, and you know in, in, capitalism played a huge role in this, you know, medical companies snapped to attention and got things done, right? And, and used our intellectual and technological prowess to deliver way ahead of schedule, which will be something we'll always have. But the, the amount of things that are just couched in the wrong language or in the bit, we've, you know, we talked a little bit about it on the podcast before, but, you know, we want people to get back to work, hence, we want people to go back to school. and You know, we want, it's, it's just, it's all based on this kind of fake concern for society, but what it really is is the sort of hand of money-making and greed.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, like you see it with the school thing all the time. So, you know, like you watch the news and the most child-catcher-looking, horrible politician that you know hates kids is getting on and going, oh, little Johnny and little Mary yeah. miss their friends and it's so important the children are the future. And like you can nearly see them kind of going, I believe that children are the future. Yeah. Let them. Like, it's so fucking false. Like I'm kind of mortified even watching it. And you're going, look at, that's a lot of words for we need the babysitters back. Yeah. <laughs> like, children, mommy and daddy have to go to work. If
0: anything, are the most adjustable and uh, able to adjust to tra- trauma and tragedy, than adults are. Because, yeah. I, like
1: I don't have, even have. I'm, I, I've got kids. I don't even have a particularly strong position on the school thing. Yeah, I'd like to see them back at school. I'm wary of this kind of push to get them back. Because I'm going. Mm. Like, I don't really want them going in if I'm feeling like, I don't think it's great yet. Do you know what I mean? So, I I don't have a strong stance. It depends. It depends on how it looks. I don't have a... I'm not strongly close the schools or open the schools. But it's just... It's a smell of bullshit when everyone starts on about the kiddies. The poor kiddies. Like, last year on the news, it was the the vectors. The little vectors. Mm. And now it's like, oh, the children. And everybody's on about, you know, it's so important for the children that we open up. You just want to go to the pub. Piss off.
0: And, and, you know, there's also... All the times they were talking about, oh, make sure that we give Africa and and, and developing countries, you know. And now it's a shit for, oh, fight for vaccines. Because if you're not going to go after the get, get the poorest people in the world their vaccines, then there's liable to be another uh, mutation of some sort coming from somewhere. Those people also travel and bring it with them. So, in in many ways, it's been a disease that has just carved open the impracticalities of where we're living today. I mean, I was, the lessons over a year, like even things like, you know, repeating mistakes. We, we we still had a lot of death in Ireland in January. A lot of it was in nursing homes, which was the big ball we dropped in March last year, dropped it again. And and the countries that do well, like I lived in Australia, and I am Australian. Um, and <laughs> And, you know, the Aussies get shit done. Like, you, you know, the quarantining in hotels, yeah, there's, there's cops outside everything. There's nurses that go in every day. They have this sort of depth, strength and depth of a civil service that yeah. makes the country work and is designed to work primarily in times of panic yeah. and emergency. The
1: downside being that it's frequently accused of being a nanny state. Sure. So sure. it's like... I, but I prefer that. Well, yeah. I'm, no, I'm not saying it. that's not, I'm not... I'd fucking rather that they're, they're managing... I mean we'd complain about nanny statism sometimes. We I and mean, kind of, nanny
0: state in Sydney is that they, they they close the pubs at the same time as they close them in Dublin. That's the sort of nanny state stuff that you're Yeah.
1: Doing. So what what I'm saying is that like we have to look at certain things that piss us off because they piss us off and kind of go, well, that's the flip side of a coin that we need. Mm. Countries that have benign fascism mm. tend to work really well, but we don't like the idea of fascism.
0: Yeah, well, I mean am not the,
1: saying Australia is fascist. What I'm Singapore saying is, is a good example of that yeah. but, you
0: know, I guess what I'm saying is they're They're demonstrating at a corporate and political level a care for the populace and a understanding that our job, if we're in the civil service or if we're in the police force or if we're in the public health or teaching, is to better. It's much more, it feels much more vocational, whereas here, and we're pretty good. I mean, we're we're not not as good as maybe Sweden and New Zealand and Australia, but we're pretty good. You know, there's just this kind of, there's this it's nefarious, cloudy. yeah, it's this really nefarious, fucking how can we get out of doing work or how can we cut some corners here or how can we cheat or how can we get our hair done without anyone finding out or going for a quick pint somewhere. I and mean,
1: I think there's human nature with that, like, how can we get yeah. out of things, right? However, specifically in Ireland, of all the countries you could live in, it's a pretty nice country. It's it's okay. We have a social welfare system. It's, it's pretty okay. We've got free education. Yeah. We've got all that. However considering how well we're doing overall and that we have all those things the civil service is a fucking disgrace Mm. they are awful but but one of the things you'll find is that people do actually go in with kind of vocational feel like i mean i know somebody who is a librarian really wanted to do that i want to be in a library Mm -hmm. i like books i also think it's really important that you know a a library isn't just somewhere you can go to get free books it's a it's one of the only places that you're allowed to exist without any expectation to spend money yeah, it's a it's a really important community thing. So there are people who go into things like that. And they go, I, I want to do that kind of work. I want to work on making sure the country run, runs well. We have a nice society where people are looked after. Those people are fucking crushed because you come in with ideas. No, we don't do that. Shut the fuck up. We're not. No, we don't do that. You're not allowed to hand out any free leaflets to someone who looks like they might. No, we're not doing that i tell you why. Because we have an agreement with our union from last year and we don't do that and we're not going to do that. And, and so anytime somebody wants to think outside the box or do anything helpful, aside from just, oh, we might get sued, there's also like a real crackdown of shut the fuck up. Because <laughs> traditionally civil service is a fucking handy number. It's a handy dandy number. You'll be permanent pensionable. You won't be minted, but you, you'll, be, you'll climb up. You'll have, make a comfortable living. You won't have to work your arse self. You'll, you'll have a family life. So that's what yeah. it's about and nobody fuck it up. And anybody that comes in and tries to fuck it up, gets a very hard time.
0: And if someone does want to change something, it takes years for change to happen, and they kick the can down the road, and nothing happens. But they're punished first. Yeah. Um, so I think you know, a year into the coronavirus, all a, a lot of that hope has kind of disappeared from me, anyway. That we will um, get our skates together, and for example, fix. Uh, use this as a warning to fix climate change, although Joe Biden has been a, a beacon in, in in that and the fact that Donald Trump, I mean, geez, the fact that Donald Trump hasn't been around since we last spoke, is yeah. just, you can feel the exhalation of air globally.
1: Yeah, globally things aren't great, but I mean, we were watching the town hall with Anderson Cooper that Biden was on last night, and I just, like, behaving like an adult mm. talking about things like decency and making sure everybody's okay and you're kind yeah. of going imagine Trump doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so you just so there's there's a sense of okay grown ups are in charge again look we might disagree on some things but are we, could we just try and clean up the situation as best we can mm. and you know look yeah. after everybody in this is that, a, is that a bizarre suggestion and everyone's just a bit a little bit tired of all the shit and kind of going okay so there's like a hopeful feeling even though really things haven't been this bad in quite some time there's also the exhaustion thing. Everybody's that little bit less bacon, banana, bread and vegetable plots shit and everyone's a bit more like, oh, for fuck's sake, couldn't be arsed, couldn't be arsed. So that's there as well. But I do think we have things like the perfect example being when we made reference last year saying, look, with, with something like a virus in a community, it doesn't matter how rich you are or how nice your house is, you have to give a shit about the poor people two miles up the road because you're, you're fucked if we get out of a virus like this. So we... We have to, for our own selfish interest, mm. we have to look after other people. And yet, we're looking now at the, the the vaccine rollout, and you can just see everybody's going back into the me, 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 not me first, mm. killing each other in the, in the line. We've seen it with how people behave in shopping centres and supermarkets. We're seeing it with the how governments are behaving. And so we it's like we keep getting the lesson that no, literally, if we don't look after everybody, we're all fucked. Mm. But we're still making, we're still falling into the thing of you know me first, me first, and kind of run over your granny to get yourself sorted, and so it's like that lesson's going to have to keep, keep being learned.
0: One thing that has come back is white dog poo, and uh, we were noticing that in our walk today. Uh, I live in a place called Ringsend, or on the outskirts of Ringsend in <laughs> Dublin, which is Ring's oh, Ringsend Post Office is there. No, no, I'm just laughing at Ringsend. Which is yeah, Ringsend is very well named because it's the smelliest neighbourhood in Dublin. It's Not only the home of the probably 20 years ago needed replacing primary sewerage plant of Dublin uh, whenever it rains extensively, that tends to overflow and just leak shite into the fucking Liffey and stink up the place, especially great in a summer's day. But also uh, the place is covered in dog shit, but the dog shit now is starting to appear everywhere. And we were on our walk today. I'm just thinking, man, you have to walk with your eyes to the ground, and I think it's because a lot of people have bought dogs yeah. during the lockdowns. So there's a lot of people with, Oh, look at my new puppy, and you know, and my baby, and my puppy. and I go out with my baby, and puppy. I don't, but will I clean up the dog shit now? If I could? Pandemic
1: Instagram do. pups,
0: yeah, and um, everywhere you look now, there's just shite everywhere, which is another nice addition to the, uh,
1: yeah, and it was really bad.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, I've, I've noticed the past kind of couple of times I've been out and about, which is not that much, but it's worse than usual. Like, there was a space where I used to always i used to always fucking get caught there. It was near where one of the kids' schools was, and some dickhead obviously let their dog out at night and went to take a shot. So you, you just you, there was no fucking. You'd always end up stepping in it, but it was just one specific fucking place. So that's it was with like one asshole. There's only one dog.
0: Yeah, there could be. a But small now it's like everywhere.
1: No, yeah. no, because the consistency. I mean, yeah. We went on a very long walk today, and it's just fucking everywhere. And it's all of these people who are not dog owners who decided to get a dog over lockdown. And what you don't actually tend to see so much on Instagram is that the dog shits need to pick it up, and it's warm and steaming, and you don't want to do it. And you have to put it in exactly. a bag. Exactly, that's
0: the sort of uh, cute puppy analogy with kids. Yeah, you have to change nappies every day, and their poo sometimes green for fuck's sake. So, yeah, you have to pick up after your dog. I mean, I had a friend whose dog who I used to go and mind every now and then, and you'd have to walk around after a pig. And it was an old dog as well, so it wasn't only white dog poo; it was brown dog poo, scuttery. black poo, scuttery, scuttery. It's <laughs> an Irish term, scuttery, scuttery. That'd be sort of unpickable, upable dog poo. You'd have to probably pour some of your water bottle on top of it to try and make it a little bit less palatable or unpalatable. Anyway, uh, those of you from overseas, if you're having dog poo issues, uh, do let us know uh, by Twitter and we will we will see if it is actually a thing or maybe just something that's happening in dirty old Dublin. Um, Biden, I think, yeah, good thing. He seems to be changing things. Let's hope that America becomes a, a leader again. Let's hope Donald Trump. I, I suspect Trump is going to get hammered uh, legally over the next uh, eight ten months, I hope so and I think he's a crook who's committed so many crimes and he needs to go down for it We're um, recording this podcast on Ash Wednesday
1: Ash Wednesday as
0: I like to call it Ash Wednesday as it's known in Jamaica um, but uh, <laughs> we have <laughs> Do you want to explain what Ash Wednesday is or Ash Wednesday <laughs>
1: Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. As we all know, Ireland is a Catholic country, and Sean and I are particularly religious. Mm-hmm. So Ash Wednesday is the day where we all wear ashes on our forehead to mark how sad we are that Pancake Tuesday is over.
0: Yeah, when well, you <laughs> go into the church and a priest, you, you line up, you know, those of you who aren't Catholics know that the Catholics love an old party, so they go in every Mass and they get a, a, a host, a little cracker, um, which apparently is the God, it's God appearing yeah. as cracker. And um, you get a, a slurp of wine. That's the difference sometimes. between the prods and the
1: Catholics. Basically. Yeah,
0: sometimes you get a slurp of wine if the d- priest hasn't drunk it all beforehand. But now you get the priest who dips his thumb in um, a bowl of fucking cigarette butts, as far as you land, and puts a little cross on top of you. Blessed cigarette. Yeah, butts. so it's
1: like I, I start to land every year. I mean, the priests would go into schools and all the kids would get that done. Or, like, I mean, you'd have to nip by the church on the way to work or on the way home from work. And most people did. Like, if you went to the local shop at 6 p.m. on Ash Wednesday, certainly up until 10 years ago, most people will have sign of the cross on their head. Yeah. So it's just a fucking... A nice big civil. black dog. Big black... And, and you'd always like there'd be, always be the one that would get a wonky one and you'd be going, oh, he had the parish priest because we, we had the curate and he does nice ones. <laughs> but the parish priest... There's always one class of kids that had just, what the fuck is that on their head? It he
0: the he parish priest is... who drew cock and balls. And <laughs> <they'd> <laughs> say, no, didn't have yeah, well, what
1: it's actually made of is the... That we know of. It's actually made of the leaves of from Palm Sunday the previous year.
0: Pam and her five sisters Sunday, <laughs> as it's known in Ireland. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so Palm Sunday was Jesus arriving into Jerusalem on a donkey, basically as a sort of an avenging peaceful angel or something, which the Romans got wind of and said, "Oi, oi, oi!" But you know, he was.
1: Are you mixing this up with Star Wars?
0: No, isn't that Pam Sunday? Do you, do they 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 welcome to in by waving palms. I mean, must have been a hot day. Do you remember?
1: Do you remember that girl? Like you had to go to mass, as a kid. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so do you remember Palm Sunday? And like, oh for fuck's sake, you feel like it's such a knob. But like because we, we had to be like out in the courtyard outside, like waving the fucking palm leaves yeah. around. Like yeah. Jesus Christ. And then you like anybody who didn't grow up religious, like they know it's weird, but you forget all these extra little bits, yeah. like the Stations the Cross, <laughs> all that shit.
0: Anyway, they waved palms at Jesus as he arrived in in a donkey. Huck. Tank might have been better. Hardly a donkey if you meant business, or even a horse, <laughs> but um a mule. him like, the mule. <laughs> mule. Uh, and they wave palms at them, and so that's become a thing uh, because we all know the good book is the truth. So yeah, we have Pam Sunday, and then they burn the palms, and then the ashes from the palms are then daubed on the faces of Catholics. Yeah, today. but look, look but what we'll happened that. today?
1: Right. Now, the, the churches are closed, but we can't, there's no mass happening. There's no mass happening because we're in level five. So we, we don't have a meaningful Ash Wednesday now. So what, they, what they've done is that uh, so, some churches have arranged takeaway ashes. <laughs> they're
0: giving them out. You've heard it all now. But...
1: They're giving them out in little baggies. So it's probably about two grams worth.
0: The drug industry and the Catholic <laughs> Church have finally merged in Ireland where you can get little baggies of ashes <laughs> and you can snort but, them up your fucking so what they nose said as far was. as God's concerned. But you're meant to take the little baggie out and pop your finger in and do your own fucking daubing of a cock and balls on your...
1: And they say out. it's really important that you shouldn't be sharing needles, sorry, uh, baggies with anybody outside yeah. your bubble. Yeah. That's really important too. So we were watching, we, we knew this and we were like, oh my God, we were watching it on the news there. <laughs> so you've got all of these coffin dodgers on their way in to collect their little baggie from like a bishop yeah. <laughs> in his flowing gowns and his mask over. Him. and then like they were showing people dipping their hand into the little baggies and this particular church they had perfect baggies so obviously someone's grandson orders them off wish on bulk because you know it's more professional than handing out weed and tinfoil so somebody's grandson <laughs> fucking stepped up because you know they didn't have this planned in advance they stepped up and fair play to them because that is community spirit <laughs> But, so you see these people dipping their fingers in and whatever way the camera was you couldn't see the top of their faces yet and I swear to god it looked like they were sticking it under their guns well, did,
0: but the other thing they said you was you wet your finger wouldn't you dip it in yeah you don't want to get that nice yeah that's what they do that's
1: what they're out. doing they're like dipping, wetting their fingers and dipping it in they looked at the option of drive-through ashes and that wasn't going to be a runner but not everybody has access to get uh, to collect their takeaway ashes so they have suggested that you could use um, this was on the news you could use cold ashes from your fireplace or indeed earth from your garden, muck from, from your garden.
0: For fuck's sake. Now I get, a, I get a lot of, a, a lot of my friends around the world are quite religious and they do, t- they do, they go, you know, it's very, what is the word? Insulting. We're very insulting to religions. Oh, well. You know, and I kind of go, just look at yourselves. Just literally look at yourselves and don't, don't, you know, and by the way, any religion, look at yourself. It's 2021.
1: Yeah, but I mean, also, like, I find it really, like, I'm trying not to be an asshole, but you know, when somebody who's not Irish mentions how disrespectful we are about other people's faith, I kind of go, "Oh, fuck off, <laughs> fuck off, Karen, you're not Irish, we're Irish, you don't get to say Come that off, to us." Ahmed. That's like white Karen coming and lecturing a black person about oppression. You go, "Sorry, you don't get to talk to us about having to respect religion. We're Irish. Fuck off."
0: I mean, one of my friends said to me, "You know, you know, I was joking about you know, God came down and." simultaneously because i'm sure he can do this if he's that good uh you know appeared in the sky all over the world exactly the same time he's omnipresent said, isn't he yeah and said boom this is me i do exist i mean i'd love if that happened it'd be absolutely imagine being alive when god finally revealed you'd be it's such a privileged position and my friend, the Kathy, went, "Yeah, but you know, if he did that, would you change your ways?" And I go, "No, he's no, a dick." No, I would change. No, my but ways. the amazing I thing know, was... is going
1: to be like, "Oh wow, Jesus, I was wrong. Oh my God, yeah. God, oh my, you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then after like an hour, you sit down, like, yeah, "Let's have a drink." Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I just didn't believe in you. Like, I can't. I feel like a dick now. Sorry about that. No, it's fine, my child. Listen, um, want to ask you? Leukemia. What the fuck is
0: that about? <laughs> Like yeah. All
1: the children dying of fa- no, no, famine no. because like. they
0: also assume God is going to come down and, and reaffirm their dildo headed interpretation of something that happened 2000 years ago that they're still daubing on themselves the likelihood is that God if he does exist or she hopefully it's a she is a kinder nicer person than all the crap and guilt and horribleness you know and fear and I mean, God is a dictator at the moment, as far as most religions are concerned. If yeah. You don't obey Him. God fear Eternal him. damnation if you question His everlasting love. So I said that with my arms out, a bit like I you, know, because Who yeah. aren't looking? And and um, just have a look at yourselves. I mean, really, seriously, have a look at yourselves and you could uh, grow up. Grow. Up. <laughs> <laughs> Smearing ashes on yourselves in 2021.
1: <laughs> what are you giving up for fucking Lent, show? going to mass
0: going anywhere the mother who goes what have you got in your face and takes out her hanky and cleans it off you're all dirty go and have a bath other great news breaking just as we um, press play on this was that sadly Rush Limbaugh has died Uh, one of the biggest cunts in radio and television in America Uh, a man who is uh, makes Sean Hannity look like a jovial Irish punter you might meet down some pub in Kerry um, yeah he's finally gone complications of lung cancer uh, may he rest in flames uh, of hell uh, the little prick um, and maybe uh, maybe he'll bring a few of those uh, Fox News people with him and then to, you know the other sad news is and I, something that I missed because I'm kind of proud that I missed it is the whole Britney Spears situation so what the fuck's going on with old Britney the three, Bri- the, old Britney now what age is she about 40
1: she's at 40 yeah uh, Jeez, Britney she's thirty eight or thirty nine. She's 40. touching forty. Like, yeah. So the free Britney thing has been going on for quite some time. But uh, the loads of people weren't interested in it are, are now because there's a massive documentary that dropped in the US last week. The world and his wife is watching. It. It's kind of Tiger King big, but it's basically the story of you know she was really famous. She was this manufactured pop princess. Yada yada yada. Had a breakdown in two thousand seven. So she'd also see her kids. You know, there was a public meltdown where she shaved her head. She beat the paparazzi, car with an umbrella, all that kind of shit. In and out of rehab, hanging around with Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, all of those people. So it was there was it was that kind of a thing. But anyway, her father got a conservatorship of her in I think two thousand eight. So so around this time, got a conservatorship of, of her person and of her finances. Now to be fair, she was in so and What's out of, that?
0: Explain what that is.
1: Well, like she she was she was in and out of rehab and she was on psychiatric holds and going in against her will and all that kind of jazz. So the conservatorship meant that she can't make any decisions for herself. So over her person, like he'd have access to all of her medical files. She'd make medical decisions for that kind of thing. But financially, like she can't buy property. She can't make any big financial decisions. She can't sign any legal stuff herself. He has to decide decide on everything, which at the time, you know, you're going to go, right, clearly wasn't well. Okay, and she's a lot, an awful lot of money, huge superstar. So you kind of go, okay, well, you, know, you could understand why that, something like that might be granted at that time, even though it's very unusual for it to be somebody who's not very elderly with Alzheimer's. Yeah. But you could see why that, that, that would happen. But, uh, that's been like, it's been like 12, 13 years now. Mm. And since then, anyone who's not familiar. And her never. Been anyone better. who's not familiar with Britney Spears. <laughs> since then, I mean, like, yeah, she was fucking mega famous at the time. Mm. Since then, she's done. The X Factor. Super Bowl. I think one of the voice ones, which you know, that's Christina Aguilera. Super Bowl. Uh, she had residency in Vegas. She's had endless fucking perfumes and this and that. Mm. And she's had shitloads of albums that were huge world tours. Like she couldn't she possibly, her hair back. she couldn't possibly be working anymore. Like yeah. she couldn't have been more front and center. Like her her career couldn't have been bigger over those years. But yet, she's still not allowed to make certain decisions for herself. So it affects the custody of her kids, who are now teenagers, because. I think she can only see them when the dad is around, but the dad, there was a problem with the dad, I think he put hands on the child and so her baby daddy wouldn't allow his kids to be around the grandfather. That leaves her, because she is in a conservatorship, that leaves her very dubious in terms of seeing her kids. So she's working away, making a mint for all of the people involved, all the lawyers, but she's not able to make any decisions for herself. Mm. And that's fucking bizarre.
0: That seems to have been what made all the difference. One of the things in the in the documentary was I didn't realize she was banging Cotton Fadden.
1: Yeah, but I think that was a brief thing.
0: Those of you who don't know who Cotton Fadden is,
1: phone box. He was in phone box. He was
0: in phone box. He's an Irish actor called Cotton Fadden. We all love him over here, Cotton Fadden. Cotton Fadden and Britney. <laughs> Where's he from? <laughs> Cut from and Castle and stop. Cotton Fadden and and Britney were a thing.
1: What? Yeah, they bombed duckies. Wow. Oh. I Good think it was, here. I think it was a brief oh. thing. I don't know. I was never really into the pop shit, although I, I have been quite interested in, um, the, not so much the free bit, Britney Spears. Like, I was never a fan, nothing personal, it's just not my bag. And, like, I was right the, I was like eight or nine when she kind of came out. So I was exactly the age group that was all my peers that would be massively into Britney Spears. Except I kind of felt that I couldn't really relate to her. So I was probably better off listening to Janice Ian at 17. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nothing against the girl herself. I was kind of more that Janicee kid. at
0: 17. So at I, seven.
1: I had no great interest in Top of the Pops shit, but not because I was too fucking good for it. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I just knew my place. But when all this shit happened, it's really interesting to watch how the media and how the world treats women, and um, particularly young girls. And so the basic thing is that she was, she was, came known to us as a teenager. And like, you can see in anything over the past 20 years or more, any child star, like we're all kind of sitting there waiting until... You know, you get all the Disney stars that are, the like Hannah Montanas and all, all that kind of shit. And they're, like, 13, 14, and you go grand. At some stage, though, there's going to have to be an I'm not a girl, not yet a woman moment, which is a Spears. beer, um, so. And, like, usually I'm they have their a thing. Girl. I'm not yet It woman. doesn't actually go like that. But everything I'll tell you. that she sings goes
0: like that.
1: I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, at some stage, they're going to have to, like, strip off, put on a leather bikini, scream to the world that they hate everything, then they're going to do a difficult acoustic album after that if they make it, or they're going to end up in the nut house like or off to the funny Cruise off the funny farm mm-hmm. exactly so like it, there's never nobody ever thinks it's going to be a smooth transition where it is for boys and men. We have this horrible disdain. Of teenage girls, we as a society do, like there's been a long-standing thing where the way that uh, teenage girls specifically speak tends to be mocked. So you've got the vocal fry, This like the Kardashian vocal fry, you've got that, you've got the upended questions, you know, when questions, uh, or when when every statement seems like a question. Really? Yeah, no, like, you know, like, so basically when every statement, like, sounds like a question. I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, but that all of those things are, they're, they tend to be vocal tendencies, of the moment and there was the valley girl thing years ago um vocal tendencies of teenage girls and studies have shown that language has evolved mainly due to girls between i can't remember now what it was something something around the age 14 up until the age of 24 something like that but they're the cohort over centuries who've evolved the english language more than any other people Mm. but yet we have this disdain for them, we take the piss out of them. So anything like Elvis Presley, The Beatles, all of that shit was really embarrassing until middle-aged men liked it, but when it was screaming 14 and 15-year-old girls, it was pathetic. Mm. It's, it's more music the music
0: also improved, though.
1: Yeah, but uh, again, but the, you notice the point, you notice the point that there's anything that's seen as something that young girls like is immediately stupid and vilified and... It's petty and it's... And we don't do that in the same way about like boys like soccer. And well, I got my
0: first Barbie doll when I was 20 and I did. Yeah, I understood. Did you feel that, people like, judged yeah, you though? I understood the whole thing there and uh, the, the, the sort of depth behind herself and Ken's relationship and how I was able to play that. But I didn't understand that when I was 12 when all the girls were really all over it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: One who, do, one who hasn't cry jagged her way through a career is my country... My country woman... A woman Kylie Manou. She's kind of got off pretty.
1: Yeah, she had a weird. She had a few way.
0: wilderness years on drugs and drinking. Yeah,
1: alcohol? she had. She had the uh, uh, Michael Hutchinson.
0: Michael Hutchins.
1: Hutchins. Why do I always was say she his with name? Him? Yeah.
0: Was she with cutting fentanyl as well?
1: No, I know. Of. Yeah, no, she has. So she was like before, obviously before Paula. Before Paula, before Paula, oh. she was with him for like she was, she was Kylie and Jason and all of that shit. Yeah, Kylie and Jason. And then she had like a two years. I think it was maybe two years, but she had a bit of a two year stint, stint where no, there. she's talked about it and everything. She like oh she no she's dodgyable, but she's fucking still like steaming Kylie it in based on oh yeah, she's like sticking up fucking videos of him and she's still using him for her concerts, uh-huh. all that kind of shit, okay. which is a bit fucking tasteless, Kylie. I'll be honest, but however, uh, but like
0: it's not hardly it's hardly it's not exactly too soon. Like he's dead. Well, that's the, this is
1: the thing, you know. I mean, come up with your own material, but that's never been. More a
0: century. So Look, wiped himself to death. It's gone. Still.
1: That is apparently not
0: true. Ah, I was there at the time. It was, it was, <laughs> the, it
1: was the. So you forget? Remember, I called you about three, three about three weeks ago. Like we were we were apart, and it was a Saturday, and you were like, "What's up with you?" And I was like, "I've actually just fallen down a rabbit hole for the past four hours, which started with um, the Boomtown Rats, and now I know all about Paula, and I just everything." So I thought this is why I know this shit, because I, I fell down a rabbit hole. I was living in
0: Double Bay at the time, a year after he died, and it was the, t- the five-star hotel there, I can't remember what the name of it was. He died in flagranti in there, and um, it was a bit like the old Dandelion Gardens. Everyone around Sydney knew Michael Hutchins or where he was when he died, and they saw his ghost wanking through the, um, <laughs> the corridors of the hotel. And so, anyway, okay.
1: The point, be, the point be, that was a very interesting <laughs> side... <laughs> the lane way we went down.
0: Yeah, sorry, cryjacking. Yeah, so you know, your point was that most teenage girl pop sensations tend to just get scrapped.
1: But we ex- we're them. expecting it. It's not yeah. just that it happens; it's that we're expecting it. It's, it's like it's impossible. They either have to fight back okay, and do don't this. Dr-
0: don't dress like a bitch. <laughs> Seriously, like we, I mean, you know, the, the boy bands come out, and the co- a few of them come out, and they're sort of maybe slightly gay. Focused well, no, no, no let's be let's be honest I had boy The boy, band, ba-
1: let, let's let the boy band thing. Like for instance, like. NSYNC, which I refuse to call NSYNC because I'm not American. It's yeah. NSYNC. Yeah. Tough. That doesn't work for you. So, you know, the famous one is the, your man with the noodle head, NSYNC, who is now Justin Trousersnake, who got famous. I mean, yes, he was known as, you know, the curly one out of NSYNC who's going out with your one. But the reason he really got famous and has a career of his own is because he released an album that basically said, she's a slut and she slept with me and she told everyone she's a virgin, but she slept with me and then she cheated on me and I hate her and she's a slut. And that's why he's famous now. As as we all know, anybody who was listening to this kind of shit in the early 2000s, that's literally why. It's not that he's that fucking good. He literally was just a little bitch. Yeah. He didn't have to go through the butterfly...
0: No, but emerges like, from
1: the cocoon like, while the whole media J-Lo and the whole world. was on
0: last year's Super Bowl with her snatch hanging out in her wasn't
1: and, to my taste. And
0: a, a bunch of 15, 12 year olds dancing in the same clobber, you know. And yeah. You're like, all right. I your power to the, you know. No, I
1: genuinely, I, like I, I kind of got in a bit of trouble for this last year about the Super Bowl thing because I kind of think, fucking you know, do what you want. It saddens me to see the over of all women it's never men, it's always women. Yeah. And I kind of go, look, there's nothing wrong with that and I hate to be the one going, oh, kids are watching you, but I'm also kind of going, I wouldn't let my kid do hip-hop dancing because they're doing the dancing that's in invig- dancing? Oh yeah, definitely. Because like, she needs the upper body strength. Do you know <laughs> those, what I mean?
0: Those people from Poland, they're excellent at dancing.
1: Like I wouldn't be putting her into, she's no fucking interest anyway, but like, I would I'd be like, ugh. I'm not a prude, but I I don't like even, the even cheerleaders I don't like the,
0: are still a thing. Like,
1: yeah, it's fucking weird. How are still a thing? Well, the thing with the cheerleading thing is, I actually got into documentaries about this last year. So cheerleading is actually a fantastic sport. Yeah, right. It's, it's turned into one, but I'm like, can we just call it gymnastics, yeah, like right. team g- gymnastics, and like because it's what it is. It's much fucking more impressive than what the football team are doing, but you're still in these little fucking. Cutesy outfits, Look, you and like you're still not, fucking you're cheerleaders. A cheerleader for
0: the Toronto Raptors. you know what I mean? Like you're one of the rich basketball, but
1: players but they're a very good sport. Like make them their own fucking take you thing. Home
0: and make him his, make make you his daddy. It's it's all
1: well, you know. like, exactly. I mean, it's getting they're removing it a little bit from that, but at the same time, the actual cheerleading bit is fucking ridiculous. Let let it be its own sport. It's pretty fucking impressive.
0: So where do we go with where do we end up with the whole Britney? Are, so we, the, are we on her side? Are we sad for her? Do we, it felt when I watched it with one eye that it was a bit of a conspiracy. Yeah, we well, see. Like, a lot of it's because. Slightly. Fucking, I- fucking idiots. Like. Going, like, I love you, Britney. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah like the, like, the it point. doesn't help that the face of the free Britney movement is fucking idiots. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? At the same time, it is, it is, it is worrisome. And you kind of go, right, this woman should not be able to be working to the extent that she is and making the amount of money she is. And there's, I think she's not necessarily there to have an iPhone. Her dad said no. No. That's that's fucking worrisome. She's not like this
0: day and age. You can, especially if you're Britney Spears. You know, you can get your message out there if you're in deep shit and. You know, it was all a bit vague. It was all or people are reading messages from her Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of that. A lot of that. Like, like, I, I think it,
1: it raised an interesting... I don't fucking know. But it raises an interesting point. But it is very worrisome that so many people who can benefit from it are in a position to. That's that's that's, that's would, a problem.
0: I would say the same applies to bands back in the day when you had your A and man and you sold your Soul to the Devil and you got yeah. You know, and if you're if you're a writer today, and Amazon takes seventy five percent of all sales. This is, you know, we've probably weirdly, well, not by design, come full circle in the podcast because it is capitalism just greedily consuming. In this case, yeah. women, people, bands, musicians, writers...
1: Yeah, so it opens a lot of questions. I to when work you start in going, when people make it, make man. an argument about Britney Spears, you can kind of go, well, it shouldn't be your dad because, well, who should it be then? Okay, well, it shouldn't be this person because they've got, yeah. and then you when you crack it open, you see, there's actually quite a lot of exploitation there, and yeah. we have the same people making decisions are the people who can benefit, and it's not to your best interest. I mean, even the fucking lawyers in there, the amount of money they're making by the in and out, back and forth, so it's not even it's the same way divorce lawyers. It's not always in their interest to be helpful for an amicable separation so it, it, it raises interesting questions but I was I was interested in the fact that most of the world now is kind of going Jesus it's awful how she was treated like the way she was spoken to in different interviews with Dan yeah. Sawyer and stuff like that like really inappropriate because you know, she's like mm-hmm. yeah but, but even before the paparazzi stuff even when she was 17 18 19 and people were being nice to her the line of questioning and the way they were speaking to her was really inappropriate would never have been said to a boy and it was just really fucking shitty and you don't think of the early 2000s as being the 1950s where all sorts get said to women but you're looking back at it now in 20 after 20 years everyone's kind of going jesus how did they get away with saying that to her that's you can't speak to people like that so that's interesting to see how much things have moved on but also the fact that to be honest everyone did fucking laugh at her and yeah that was it was a particularly nasty time in pop culture and the paparazzi culture was huge and all that kind of thing and that's kind of died away probably because people have social media now so celebrities are more in control of leading every aspect of their personal life themselves but it was a really nasty time. It was horrible the way people spoke about her. It was horrible the way people laughed at her. Like, we were watching clips of it. They had clips of it, of a game show where it was all things that she's lost this year yeah. her family, her children, her mind, her hair. Like, Really fucking, not just the odd throwaway line, really fucking distasteful shit. And now everyone's going, oh, that's awful. And the world does, oh, Britney Spears, an apology. It's awful the way she was treated. But I, I, I was saying to you earlier, I, I was interested to see how the documentary would unfold because we had an example not that dissimilar in Sinead O'Connor. In Ireland, certainly, Sinead O'Connor Generally, was not laughed at. No, there's a, there's always some dickhead who does, but no one, and no one gets offended about it. But no you one, too.
0: Bono gets more shit than Sinead.
1: Oh god, yeah, but like even now, and Sinead has done much more outlandish stuff, yeah. and and she stu- suffers with her mental health. And you always get some asshole laughing, but generally speaking, like if you're in a pub and people, if, if it comes up, you know, one or two people might make a throwaway comment, and no one gets overly offended, but nobody really feeds them either. they just kind of go ah, and the it's, it's always been she's had a very hard life I know I like Sinead leave her alone yeah. and that was from the early 90s and actually, I know she was treated differently elsewhere but there was always this thing of look she's had a hard life like, it's not fucking funny it's not mm-hmm. funny to be laughing at her and people would lots of people would say oh i they'd seen her in St. Pat's or they'd seen her there when they were visiting someone and there was never I've never heard people really sneer about her it's always been God love her she's had a hard life very good singer well, she's very that, talented I think also
0: when we when you look back on the Sinead thing she was a you know she's self-appointed herself as a sort of one woman wrecking ball in the church uh, and it was a time when the problems with the church there was the whole women thing that we talked about in the last episode with, with, with mother and baby homes and Magdalene laundries and all that and then at the time there was all of the uh, paedophilia towards boys and mainly boys from Greece mm-hmm. and she kind of waded into that you know yeah. tearing the Pope up on Saturday night Eleven nearly got excommunicated from fame for that
1: yeah and Chris Christopherson was a gent I always liked yeah her.
0: so she was brave and so I think that we liked but, the fact yeah. that she was brave but and, the thing about you know, her actually didn't come without cost
1: yeah but her thing wasn't actually a specifically anti-church thing although I mean she spoke what she said what she said and we all fucking agree and she was right and you know I don't, I don't think she wasn't hated here but she wasn't thanked enough and that's people would often say that now you know she was right and we, we actually owe her a debt but she was like that about other things because I was watching some interviews I think it was Arsenio Hall, and it doesn't matter, but they were talking about her boycotting the awards and kind of saying to her, well, like, you know, you, didn't, you went last year, so that's the difference now. Big awards in the US. She'd gone to some in the season. She wasn't going to others. She's boycotting now. What's the difference? And she's kind of getting a bit of stick about it. And as you see, her sitting there, she, and she's very young, and she's like, she's so dainty and so pretty, and she's, but she's got like the baggy t-shirt on and the shaved head, but she's like takes herself really seriously, and she's really intelligent, and she's like her thing that it, what, what I came away from it watching was, you know, she was talking about she, it was just bullshit. She went last year. Uh, she wasn't impressed by what she saw. It confirmed that basically the, the music industry is out of shite. And she very politely was just saying on this talk show, I'm not, I refuse to take part in it. I'm not taking part in it. And it was literally, she. her problem is that she's got integrity. She's got this massive integrity. She's just always been this little girl that stands in front of everybody. And people will fawn over her. Men will fawn over her. In the gay like, burn sort of way, which is always icky, yeah. which was, which is, I'm going to disempower you by telling you how cute you are, mm. and I'm going to pretend I'm being a gent when I'm doing it, but actually what I'm saying is, isn't she a great little gay girl? Gay burn,
0: famous for that. Yeah. Did it with Annie Murphy. Did it with. Oh Bush yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, it was nasty, Annie Murphy, but still. So there was this thing. She got, but she got that everywhere. This so an awful lot of because she was so pretty and she was so interesting. People would be nice to her, but they'd be nice to in order to belittle her, and she was just this lone voice saying. I call bullshit. Yeah.
3: She's
1: like the emperor is not wearing any clothes. This isn't true. This isn't true. This isn't right. This isn't fair. And she was like, she wasn't screaming about it. She was just, every time she was asked, she refused to get dressed up. She'd wear a baggy t-shirt and she'd say, well, that's because I, this is what I want to do. She, she just told the truth.
0: Yeah. She didn't play the game and beware the people who I think have nothing to lose and don't bother playing the game anymore. And out of them comes truth. Alright, I think we've covered the days as we're looking at new ways of um, bringing the podcast on Uh, if you have any ideas um, you can uh, contact me through Twitter at Shawnee B I mean I was thinking about that conservatism what's it called? Conservatorship Conservatorship, like if, you know, we've got a fairly hefty age gap and if I ended up wearing, you know, paisley pyjamas and dribbling into my Campbell's cream of tomato soup Yeah I'd be down to your GP saying look I need to I had somehow made you in charge of the multi-million dollars I've made from Pint with Shawnee B and they were all under your jurisdiction and you were there'd be people in my family you'd be going What the fuck is she
1: I know but it'd be different if I was like wheeling you back out to, to keep recording with me and yeah. you're like uh, uh, what do you think Sean uh, and then I'm wheeling you out onto like Ladies, in shopping centres because shop. we've got merch yeah. and you're there in your wheelchair with your t-shirt it'd, like like like, it'd,
0: it'd be like a pint with Shoney B and I'd be brought to an Irish pub of a lunchtime and
1: it's okay Sean you can smoke <laughs> you can smoke in uh, the house. Uh,
0: oh, I can smoke
2: oh.
0: <laughs> welcome to a pint with Shoney i <laughs> had so many pints with Shoney B I ended up with sclerosis of the liver yeah Sean Ball, sit down, now, sit down. There was, there was some, and you know, fans and former, uh, former guests would arrive over and pat me on the head, and I'd be, no, there wouldn't be any Shawnee B left.
1: Yeah, and your nieces, like, I mean, they like me, but they'd be sitting there going, "That bitch, you know, like, I, yeah. what is she at? What is? Should we do? Should we? Be a, should we you'd contact be, you'd be dressed somebody. up
0: like Suge Bain's mum, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wheeling me in and. As soon as we wheel out, you'd be around to the off licence for a nagin of vodka, which yes, you'd I drink would. on the way home, and they'd all know about your alcoholism. And, and how my you little of of I'm, I'm consistently soiling my pajamas. So uh, what I meant to say there was that <laughs> she would have control over the Patreon funds. Obviously, that we've made so much. Uh, I've made so much during the last five years. Those of you who still would like to contribute to that <laughs> large stash of wealth that I have accumulated. I would really appreciate it if you went on to www.patreon.com backslash Shoney B and you can, for the price of a pint or whatever you feel up to, it can be 10 cent. It can be a book. It can be 10 bucks. Some people, are, and that, I'd like to thank those people who know who they are, who've been uh, a patron, patron of uh, private Shoney B for many years. Anyway, we're coming to the end of the Don's top 20 countdown. um And we're, looking at ways in which we're going to bring the uh, podcast forward. I think given the fact that we're in probably 2021 is pretty rooted from a COVID point, if you're going to keep this kind of thing going, we might, uh, Any anyone it's, has any ideas, send them through to us.
1: Essentially another. it's shit or get off the pot time. Because yeah. we've
0: been, <laughs> been questioning this if out if, for if, some time. If you have any any questions for myself in the Don, they can be rude and horrible. And if, you, if you're one of those trolls and, Twitter, feel free to come at me and do. This
1: could be really fun. This is like when I was on Tinder.
0: So yeah, any ideas, any questions you'd like us to ask at uh, at, at uh, in future podcasts? Uh, we will be, you know, back in a few weeks. And before we go in this podcast, as ever, the dawn has reached number one. Now, number one was fully intended to be a guy called Pete Dunn. Pete Dunn uh, died. Pretty much this time last year, so this is probably close to his anniversary. He has already been honoured in the Don's Top Twenty, which we released not long after his death, and he also uh, we featured him, uh, I think, on our Hutanani uh, special, where his new album has been launched. It's called Whacked, Pete Don Whacked. The title track is a great earworm, and uh, find that where you can. So we're down to the the, the final. Um, the final pint down. Do-do-do. So the Don asked me, um, clues as to who the person might be. What's clue number All one? Right.
1: Clue number one. We're so tuned into faces that that is why we can see faces in clouds. It's called paradolia.
0: Yikes. I should know that. That's very specific, isn't it? Paradolia, Faces in clouds
1: technically not accurate. It's about... Faradelia it actually means that you'll see
2: okay.
1: uh, patterns, including such things like faces in, in animal objects.
0: Andy?
1: No. Right. Okay. Second clue. The first casualty of war is the truth.
0: Mm. Giles?
1: No. I'm really glad you didn't get it because this is my favourite clue. Okay. Number three. And I quote, I stabbed a prince of Sierra Leone. But he did smash me over the head with a lump of wood. I was eight years old.
0: Oh, that's um
1: Narrows it down somewhat. You
0: know, it's uh I start yeah, I remember there's somebody who was <laughs> away in boarding school and they got into trouble. Okay, it's feeding me, I don't
1: know. Well I didn't know I was gonna pick this, but I just woke up this morning and decided to. Still not fucking getting it's Nick Reynolds!
0: Oh, Nick Reynolds, of course. Well, I I would have assumed Nick Reynolds had already been picked. <laughs> so, Nick Reynolds, where to start this guy? This guy's uh, probably the best, the maddest life, and I won't spoil it for you. I think it's just worth listening pretty much as I I, I knew a couple of things about him. Um, he's a true Renaissance man. I well, you talk a bit about what, what you got from it, because I, I don't think I'm going to reveal too much for anyone who may have got here without having looked at the blurb or... Um, <laughs> Do you know, I'm
1: I'm disinclined to. Yeah. This would be one of these that's uh, that. Like, that, not that I don't like all of your interviews, but there's like, yeah, there's just a handful where you go. Hold on, now turn off the kettle. I can't fucking hear this properly. Yeah,
2: hang
1: on, till I get comfortable. Now tell me the rest. It's just like I'm I'm disinclined. Well, where do you begin? Where do you
0: begin? I think we. I think I'd like to say first of all, uh, hi to Nick. Thank you very much for for giving me your time a couple of years ago. We got we got on really well, and we've become kind of. Friends to the point of if he's ever in town, we'll probably catch up for a He's pint. a
1: really cool tour bus.
0: He's a cool tour bus. Uh, he is the lead harmonica player with a band called Alabama Three, who are the band who are behind the opening track to the Sopranos. Woke up this morning, got myself a gun. And that's all I'm going to say, because... That's about ten percent. of That's not like the least life. interesting
1: thing about yeah, it. It's po- possibly <laughs> the most
0: least interesting thing about this guest is that he's the lead harmonica singer of one of the greatest, most enduring counterculture type band that Britain has produced probably in the last twenty years. They're still going strong. They all kind of hate each other. They all do drugs and they all muddle along. That's possibly the most, the, one of the least interesting things about the, the, this guy and his the life he has lived. So without further ado. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Another pipe with Shawnee B. Uh, coming to you from London. I have a guest. Sometimes on this show, I have plenty of time to research my guests. But these are the ones I prefer. I've just met this guy I'm about to talk to not 20 minutes ago. And he is a Renaissance kind of guy, a musician. He plays harmonica for a brilliant band called the Alabama Three. He's also the UK's only specialist desk math mask artist we will discuss what that is i'm welcoming to the podcast nick reynolds hello sir how are you doing all right tell me a little bit about why you're a death mask specialist let's start there we'll come to your music later
4: okay well, a death mask basically is a sculpture of a dead person that's created from taking a mold directly from the subject's face this is a tradition that's been going on for thousands of years, but I suppose the golden age of death masks was in Victorian times. Death levels were very, very, very high. The Victorians, their way of coping with this is they kind of ended up embracing death. So to them, death masks sort of represented the person in the sort of a like romantic, eternal sort of sleep. If you look at Victorian graveyards, you've only yeah. got to see that with all the kind of funerary sculptures and everything. they've got yeah. weeping angels and... But everyone's in a sort of like a state of foreverness. They believe that to get the essence of the person, which was very important, is that sometimes the, the guy would come around and do the death mask before the doctor would even come around and give the death certificate. <laughs> because within a few hours, the muscles totally relax and certain features or expressions kind of dissolve, if you like. Unfortunately, these days, by the time they get in touch with me, they would have had to have gone to the morgue They would have had an autopsy generally, or at least they would have been embalmed. By that time, obviously the bone structure and everything is still intact. Areas like the gels and everything can kind of move down and sort of slightly distort the features on the face. Um, So unfortunately, I don't get to them straight away. It could be a week or two. But what I do, I try to counterbalance the fact that they have been laying down for a little bit. and I I cast them in wax, and then um, I kind of do a little bit of a nip and tuck on them. And that would be so a deep... frowning. So they're not, yeah, so they're not frowning. But they, they still end up with a bit of a frown. I mean, a good yeah. example, if you look at um, Beethoven's death mask, got a real sort of hangdog expression, and that's because of the, the gravity. He was if a grumpy fucker upwards... anyway. But yeah, 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 Death yeah, as yeah. a post. There you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it was, it was, in fact, it's very interesting. There is a life cast of, of him taken six seven months before he died and it's fascinating the difference in sort of like how he deteriorated just in six or seven months yeah. but yeah he looked pretty grumpy in his life mask and he looked even grumpier in the death mask so i thought you know i don't get to them that quick which means there's a certain a uh, bit of work i've got to put into into them to make them look because basically if someone wants a death mask they want the person as, as they have died and they look like they're sleeping more or less you get to them a week or two weeks later it's yeah. a dead person
0: like you're the first person i've ever met who's run this that's why i'm starting here because it's most fascinating to me but you, like who wants a death mask now do you get do you have deathmasks.com or do you, like well my um, dad was a great guy can you do a death mask for me well that's
4: generally it yeah it, it's um the majority of them I would say tend to be popular figures And that's an old old tradition. Yeah, I've done done quite a few for people. I did Ken Russell, the film director, Peter O'Toole.
0: So where is his death mask now, for example?
4: Kate, his daughter, has got it in um, Galway. Okay. Well, where where he had a house.
0: People don't think of doing like there's so many things you have to do to bury a parent or a person that you love. What makes a person think of oh wait before we go want to call in? Nick can get a death
4: mask on. It depends on the the person. The tradition of death masks really came about in order to uh, produce post-mortem sculptures. So someone famous would die and they'd say, oh, we've got to make a monument or a sculpture of them. How are we going to do this? They didn't have photography. So what they would do is they would make a death mask and that would be Ah. the sculptor's model. Basically, they weren't really considered much value in themselves until Napoleon died and had his death mask made. And his death mask was kind of revered as an object in itself. Most death masks, if they are actually to be used as a sculpture, they'll have hair added to them and there'll be a little bit of work done on them. Sometimes the eyes will be sculpted open. But with Napoleon's, and it wasn't a particularly good cast either, the ears are missing... Um, and they shaved his head, so it doesn't look like him. In fact, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of people that contest it is actually his mask anyway. So from that point onwards, people saw the value of a death mask of a famous person. I think about faces, a lot of people believe the face is the seat of the soul. Really, and Everything, how we react with people, how we talk to people, is all based on information we're getting as we're yeah, looking at true. their face. I mean, faces... You know, As you're a baby, the one thing that you learn to fixate on, first of all, are faces. And yeah. we're so tuned into faces, this is why we can look at clouds and see faces. It's called pareidolia. We're programmed into that kind of right. thing. You can look at a death mask of someone, and every wrinkle is a repository for countless memories. To me, I think everyone should get a death mask done, because yeah. it, it, it's their last will and testament of themselves. As a sort of as a human shape and form, uh, you can have a picture of someone in a room, but it, it's two D, it's flat, it's not tactile, it doesn't have any weight, it doesn't occupy any space. Death masks do, and it allows the bereaved to a certain degree to kind of get over the grieving process. I think the first the do you losing paint them, by someone, the way? no,
0: they're just white, right? No,
4: no, they're they're, they're bronze. They look very classical because it used to be purely for the elite. They used to have these very lengthy funeral rites where when the king died, they would have him sort of on show for up to a month yeah. sometimes. And of course, by this time, you would have a bit of a smelly king. As time went by and all the religious rites and all the paraphernalia and ceremony and pomp that went with the death of the sovereign got longer and longer and longer, they realised they, they had a real problem. So what they would do is they would take a death mask in wax and they would make it look like the real person. You know, use like hair from a dog, this up for the eyebrows and stuff, soften the features, Lying dress it state. up. And that would lay in state yeah. while the king had already been buried. And people thought that this effigy was the real deal. And you can see them. Well, my a-
0: old man is a very famous Irish ventriloquist.
4: Oh, okay. And he made his own dummies. (laughs) So you didn't know that. No, I didn't. (laughs) And he made his own
0: dummies on a kind of a death mask, papier-mâché now. Yeah. But like Ventriloquist dummies' faces get started off in a similar way where you take a kind of a... His most famous dummy was an Irish storyteller, an old Shanachee, and he got an old Irish poet and used that as O'Connor and used that face to make his own paper. well he had a
4: life mask of the poet or, no, he, he, or he just based it, yeah, yeah. it so he, sculpted he's making it, but a yeah. kind of
0: a, a, a dummy out of papier-mâché and then yeah. he has to put in the, the jaw thing and all that kind of so he's not a million a yeah, million yeah, miles yeah. away uh, yeah but
4: you know what I mean people say to me that death masks they think they're kind of creepy and spooky but I think ventriloquist dummies are a well, hundred times yeah, more yeah. spooky d- I mean you've seen that you must have seen that movie oh, so Magic of them. I know yeah, no, but yeah, Magic is the brilliant one with yeah, what's yeah the guy Hopkins. Father Beans with Canty, yeah, yeah, Anthony yeah, Hopkins, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, no, he I might mean, dad. No, but they freak me yeah. out.
0: Clowns,
4: patrullochist yeah. dummies. What, why is that? Well, you,
0: I mean, you have to go into a, that? so you have to go in pretty soon after a bereavement in an ideal sense yeah. with and say, don't mind me, I'm just, you know. and Yeah, they, give me, a, they the give me a bodies. call,
4: tell me where he is, and I go down the mall. How
0: much does it cost to get a death mask on now?
4: Generally speaking, I do them in um, sort of like what they call cold cast bronze, and I, I charge sort of anywhere between two and two and a half grand.
0: And how many would you do a year?
4: Um, it varies. I Roughly mean, I, I think, it. well, it's sometimes I've done 10, sometimes okay. I've only done three.
0: And is it a dying business? Excuse <laughs> me.
4: <time. laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a dying art for a long time.
0: <laughs> but you're the only guy, right? You're you're the main specialist in the UK, doesn't it?
4: Yeah. I mean, there are people that have done it because they've been asked to, but yeah. they don't have a business based around it. And I, I lecture on the subject as well. So it, it's kind of something that I'm sort of like quite deeply into. Do you get many character. people
0: going, Hi, uh, I'm about to die, will you do a face mask for me?
4: Do you get people like. One, I've had one person who was an Alabama 3 fan who, who um, came to a gig and uh, he couldn't get backstage because he was in a wheelchair, I think, but his girlfriend got backstage and said to me, Oh, you know, my husband's out in the front, he's dying of cancer, and he wants a death mask done. And I said, well, to be honest, if he's still alive, it, it'd be better that I do him alive. Because ah. then when you're looking at him, he's alive. There's an inherent sadness, no matter how beautiful they might be. The, the mask, you know, you're looking at it and it's still a constant reminder that, that that they're not with you. You know, I would much rather do people alive before they die, to be yeah. quite honest. I'd be up for it. But well, there you go. We can We're not do a, famous enough. We'll problem, do a We'll yeah. do a deal. So, but
0: before we finish on the death mask,
4: yeah. you also did Malcolm McLaren. Yep, I did Malcolm McLaren. I, um, his head's in bronze on his gravestone at Highgate Cemetery. Every time I go down there, because my dad's head is there as well, and I did my dad, and he's on the same main stretch as Malcolm, so you know, I'll go and see my dad and then i walk down the road and go and check Malcolm out. And um people leave safety pins <laughs> and you know and razors and, yeah. and little things like that. Someone sprayed across it in bright pink one day, no future. The people that, that run iGate Trust rang up Joe Corry, Malcolm's his dad, said, oh, I'm really sorry, but um, someone no, sprayed graffiti, you know, and he, and he, got he got went, it. cool, it's great, it's <laughs> in the spirit of exactly, things. Exactly. Leave it there, but they didn't want to leave it there. Cause, <laughs> and then the other day they rang me up and said, someone's just thrown green paint all over it. You'd love it you know, <laughs> <laughs> And I'll just say, he'd be laughing. He said, it's still a tension, he's still in the news, you know. Anyway, yeah, well, death di- Mars, we, 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 enough we, of death we, We've
0: disappeared down this rabbit hole of death masks, only because I've never met anyone who's done this before, and it's intriguing that it's still a thing, and I, I love the elemental issue of it. How does a guy end up being a musician at death mask? Tell me a little bit about where you were born and, and how you grew
4: up. Um, oh, great, oh, bloody hell. Oh, I was born in Kensington in 1962. What was uh, it
0: like living there then? That was, well, I, it don't, was still I, I, I don't remember, do I? I remember no, that? when you were growing up, though, was it was it a happy did, what, childhood?
4: You, uh, you don't know about my background. You don't know about I my I told childhood. you, I just fucking uh, met you 20 minutes right, ago. okay, well... When I was one years old, my dad committed the great train robbery, and from that moment on, we was on the run for five years. Um, See
0: what happens in a pint with Johnny Peters. get a son go. of uh, a train so, robber.
4: So, um, so he
0: was one of the Ronnie Briggs' gang
4: and all that? Uh, well, he was the gang. My dad yeah. was Bruce Reynolds. He was the guy who planned it. Okay. And um, Ronnie Biggs was an old, old friend of his um, that they'd met together in Borstal. I mean, <laughs> we could talk just an hour about my dad and, yeah. uh, and Ronnie Biggs and... Me and my dad hanging out in Brazil with him. Right. So, so that broke. My dad lay low for about eight months and then... Did you have loads of the cash country. then in your... Oh, yeah, of, yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah. I mean, he was an instant millionaire, you yeah. could say. <laughs> and uh, so I grew up in Mexico. Well, over five years, I lived in Mexico, Canada, uh, France... Um, then he came back to England to do another job and got arrested so so I then got sent to boarding school
0: so what what age were you when you realised
4: you were on the run Uh, we weren't on the run in my mind because my dad was constantly changing his name had different identities, he would change the way he looked. So he would put on three or four stones, shave his head, grow a moustache, wear a monocle, and be, a monocle. be <laughs> and be Keith Clement Muller, a German businessman. And Did he speak um, German? Um, oh, he, he could fake his way through <laughs> it. But in those days, you know, in the sixties, most people weren't very worldly. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. an Englishman's idea of going on holiday was going to Margate. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and were you an only child? Yeah, I was an only child. Oh, I was an that. only child, yeah, I know. But so um They
0: have the best life,
4: by the way. So we are constantly moving around and um I think at some point I wondered why we never seemed to stay in one place. But we lived I mean when we were in Mexico, my dad bought the franchise for Dunhills. this, this is what a nutter he was. I mean at this time <laughs> he was it was the very first time Telstar had gone up. Um, and they were trying to think of all new wonderful things that they could beam, you know, using this bit of technology. And then Interpol had this bright idea. They said, why don't we all get together and put the world's most wanted list of the 10 Ah. most wanted people? And my dad was one of those 10. So it so happened that when he was broadcast and it was on telly in Mexico, it was like on a Sunday morning at a time when everyone had been sleeping off a heavy session on Saturday. So he, he was quite confident. Um, that no one had seen this. It? Have you seen this man? Because he was quite pro- high profile in Mexico, sort of living with the top five percent. In fact, the apartment we lived in was rented off the the president of the Bank of Mexico. Right. So when he bought the franchise to Dunhill's, you know they said we got to do some press and everything like that. So I had a picture of him in the airport, stood on the uh, the ladder coming out of the plane. And he's standing there, with, you know, in his suit and tie and his briefcase and glasses, looking very much like Alan Wicker. And sort of like that headline was like, you know, "Man from England comes to bring Dunhills to Mexico," yeah, and that's yeah. that's just fucking insane. It's I know that's he, just insane. Yeah. You know, I think he'd
0: run a garden patch somewhere and just have money. But in the,
4: I, I think his attitude was sort of like you know, just hiding in plain sight. You can almost be so obvious. When did he die? He died uh, four years ago.
0: Okay, so you you got the whole story from him.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I've written a couple of books on it. Um, right. with him, we we'll put them and, on the podcast uh, if anyone wants to. Uh, the yeah, and, and I'm in the I'm in the process at the moment because um he wrote a book called Autobiography of a Thief.
0: Does what it says in the
4: tin? Yeah, but it got it got a lot of good reviews because um most villains when they write their books they tend to embellish things and big them up a little yeah. bit. Yeah, you know, or even there'll be certain stories that it wasn't them; it was someone else who's dead now, and they'll claim I'll yeah. say I did that. My dad's bogey was very, very different. In in as much as you got all the excitement and the thrill of being naughty, but then you had the whole (laughs) grueling payout for what you'd done. It's the roller coaster, but it's also you know the price that you pay for living that kind of life. Did he get caught eventually? Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, no. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. He said he came back to do another job, and he got nicked in Torquay, and he got 25 years.
0: What would make him come back to do another job? Just ran out of money.
4: Well, yeah. We see, was, was it,
0: part of it sounds like the thrill.
4: Well, when he was, we were living the high life in Mexico and Buster Edwards, who was another one of the train robbers. It who, was
0: Phil Collins' character. In right? the movie,
4: yeah, who wasn't doing too well. He was finding it kind of hard to get by with him and his wife, June, and their daughter, Nicolette. So he kind of got in touch with my dad and said, can we come out and stay with you? Because I'm at my wits end here sort of thing. Maybe thinking about giving myself up. I can't maintain this life on the run. He yeah. wasn't geared up for it. So he came to Mexico, and after a while, even that, it didn't suit him. So he decided that he would do a deal for a lesser sentence and came back to England. Unfortunately, it was discovered, or oh, they worked out, that where he'd been and uh, that he must have been with my dad. I think they found a photograph or something or other. And my dad realised that the game was up, so he had to do a runner. But not only that, his cover was slightly blown because he was a diamond geezer, Buster. But things about my dad—he could pretend to be anybody. I mean, he, you know, he used to tell people he was the youngest major in the British Army, and he'd get away with it. He could put on the accents and and everything. Buster was your lovable rogue, and when he came out to join my dad in Mexico, the kind of people my dad was hanging out with. They couldn't kind of work out why would this guy who's pertaining to be this character be hanging out with, with a kind of Jack the Lad sort of, <laughs> ca- you know, and uh, so, so I think your dad was right. there yeah. was cracks in my dad's uh, sort of the, the image that he put out over there. And then, of course, once Buster did give himself up. Um, I think my dad got word that they were aware of where he was, so that's when we moved to Canada. But did you know as a teenager? Well, I wasn't a teenager, was I? I this was from the age of one to seven. Right. Yeah, I was just about seven when he was arrested. So about five okay, and a half years right. he was because on the run. Young, yeah. But you did say to me, you know, I, I never thought we was on the run, but we're always moving around, and so I thought because of all my dad's. Different identities, passports, and he'd say to me, This is your name now, you know, and I'd have different names. And if you get stopped by the police, we ever get separated. This is what you say. And at one point, I'm going through the airport, and as the guy's looking at my dad and looking at his passport and looking up and looking up and down, you know, there's that kind of moment for some reason. And I was what, three or four? I blur out, Daddy, why did you shave off your moustache? But anyway, I thought. That maybe that my dad was a spy or something like okay, that. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and it was an exciting <laughs> life. And I, I never saw him anxious or worried. Yeah. It, it wasn't like he was looking over his yeah. shoulder, which obviously he was. He yeah. must have been to a degree. He was a very confident but, man, was he? Yeah, but my mum, you know, they were just having one big party all the yeah. time, basically. And so I never picked up on any fear or anything like that. Even to the point when he got arrested, I opened the door and then... It was something like out of the Keystone Cops. All these you know, <laughs> the police just came steaming in, you know. And even then, I wasn't worried. I thought it was like a something like the spy came out uh, in from the cold, you yeah. know. They, they they'd been rescued, yeah. didn't have to run anymore. And then I saw my mum crying, and then I thought, hold on a minute. So it's not that doesn't quite work, right? Well, you know, why is she not? And then it was my dad said he's been a naughty boy and he's gonna gotta go away for a while, you know. And I suppose that was like really and it only really really dawned on me the seriousness of it when I got to visit him in prison for the first time and he was literally in the centre of a maze in a glass cube it took more than half an hour to get to him through all the different levels, doors and all I can remember is the sound of the screw—that's the, the prison warder. Mm-hmm. His, his shoes, and they all had those Blakeys in those little metal bits, yeah, dots, you know, yeah. which just echoed yeah. in these concrete hallways. Yeah. And clunk clunk with these big bunch of keys, jangle jangle, clunk, clunk clunk through one door, then another. And you're just going through this system. It seems to take forever, and ever and ever, going round and round and round and round and round. until finally, you get in this little room, and there he was in a bloody glass box. Was in solitary, yeah. Well, this was like the visiting room. Oh, the visiting room, and, right, right. <laughs> and he was in like a little glass box sort of thing and uh, couldn't touch him and or how anything long did he like st- that. So he got 25 years and he ended up doing um, 10 and a half. Uh, he, he got parole. But if you add that together with all the other bits of time he'd done, including Borstal, he spent 21 years of his life incarcerated. Really? There's, so, there's, what effect there's, there's, do
0: you think that had on you growing up? Just
4: it, made it, just, it made it made me made me realise that it's not fucking worth nicking anything. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, I, I like my liberty too much. I just suddenly thought there's absolutely no way. When I joined the navy. No, like what sort I, of a kid were you? Were you, the, were you a fighter? Were you funny? Were you? I was a bit of a fucking mental case. I think really. Not um, <laughs> surprised. I was a loner. I had this big, 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 big secret. You, you know, Couldn't that, tell anyone. Couldn't tell anyone. I, my mum had changed my name when I was at school, so nobody knew any anything about that. Obviously, I came from a world, and because of the people that my dad knew, you know, I say this is Uncle Freddie's killed people, and this is, <laughs> so, you know, and yeah. uh, and there I am at, at this very very posh boarding school in Sussex. Um, I had a kind of attitude. It, it was sort of like a double edged sword, really. In, in, in as much as I thought, you know, I could do what I want, really, if you knew. My background. This is my mind of thinking as a child. You know, in my mind, obviously, I thought my dad was bloody Superman.
0: You felt like you were not like other boys.
4: Yeah, I did, and I was always getting in trouble. Always, always. Um, I hated authority, so I constantly questioned it. I probably got caned more than anybody else. Well, I stabbed the Prince of Sierra Leone, but he did smash me over the head with a with a lump of wood. I was eight years old then or something, yeah. I hated being at boarding school. All of a sudden, you know, I've been with my dad. There's that old Jesuit saying, you know, give me a boy for yeah, seven years, yeah. I'll show you the man. So I'd been with him practically, you know, every day through his massive adventure. I'd spent more time with him in yeah. those years than most dads get to spend with their kids their whole bloody life. Yeah, yeah. And to suddenly, living that jet set life, to suddenly he's in prison, my mum's hitting the bottle in tears and I'm sent to boarding school. It yeah. was catastrophic. And I took it out on figures of authority because they were the people... Were you bullied at school? They were the people... No, no. they were uh, the other way, I was a psycho. I hate bullies. You see, that's one yeah. thing. I hate authority. I hate bullies. Yeah. So at school, I would stick up. I, I would do ridiculous things which made people just think, just leave him alone. It's clear. a bit of a nut job. If a bully <laughs> did try something, I would do something ridiculous like stab him in the forehead with a compass. Okay. And they would just go, leave the guy alone. He's right. not, he's not were worth you br- it. Were you bright? Yeah, I was. It kind of fucked me up, actually. They did this experimental thing. It was something akin to like an 11 plus, I imagine. And they put people that got a certain score, regardless of their age, into this class. And I found myself with kids like two or three years older than me. Before that, I'd been sort of top in maths, art and English. But when I got moved into this other little experimental thing, I hated it. And I couldn't cope not being sort of up near the top sort of thing. So I went to see the headmaster in tears, you know. And so I was finding it very, very hard, struggling in, within this format. And he said to me, would you rather be a, a big fish in a little pond or a little fish in a big pond? I said, I want to be a big fish in a little <laughs> pond. And that was it. And, and, and they moved me back. But that was a boarding school. Interesting. And then I moved from the boarding school. Um, I got a scholarship to uh, Emmanuel School. Very well respected school in. Uh, I think we're the only people to have beaten Oxford at rowing. Actually, right. I think other than Cambridge. Oh, Cambridge. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we had our rowing club at Putney on the Thames. Um, what we so, studying? what no, were you study? Well, sorry, no, but I'm still at school. that's from the age of thirteen, so I was at boarding school from the now age of eight. When did music eight. come into your life? My mum and dad always had music. They'd be dancing in the living room, listening to Frank Sinatra, this, that. My dad was mad about jazz. Um, my mum loved music. And, you know, it would take five or six hours to go visit him sometimes, you know, driving. So my mum would have a big Super yeah, 8. Not Super them, yeah. 8, what do no, they call were, them? They 8 like They cartridges, right? Yeah, those 8-track yeah, things. Yeah. You just put them in yeah. and they just You we were posh if you had, them. <laughs> yeah. well, we, yeah. had we had we money. We sets that used
0: to dangle themselves up. In
4: we, the... we, 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 we did have money, did then. Have money yeah. We did have
0: money then, So then. we're going to come back to your chorale chrono- Chronology. Chronological. But I want to try and punctuate the chat with some of your music. And yeah, I'm the music. Your music. Right. So introduce one of uh, your first uh, tracks that we're going to
4: play and tell me a bit about it. God, bloody hell. You, spr- I know, it's you, spr- you sprung that on, on me, yeah, haven't you? I think your best one. You start off with an easy one. You can't put that on me. We've done 18 albums. All right.
0: Well, pick your favourite. <laughs> your favourite. I mean, you play harmonica. So which is the king harmonica track of uh, Alabama 3? Let's start oh, with that.
4: Hell. There's nine people in Alabama 3. So right. generally, no one gets a bloody solo. You're lucky if you get a couple of notes in on a track sometimes, you know. But th- this is... W- and the lead singer Larry Love, he doesn't like anyone like stealing his shine, so <laughs> everyone gets really mixed into this big kind of soup with him sat on the top of it. But this particular track, there's a, there's a lot of a uh, harmonic on it. It's a song that was written in the '60s about my dad. Have you seen Bruce Richard Reynolds? It was written by a folk singer. Dad was talking to um lead singer Larry Love, and you know, and he was saying, like, hey, Bruce, we're doing this album. Yeah, it's called Outlaw, and it's all about." How in America they've got all these outlaws that they kind of—it's part of their mythology. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and etc. Yeah. Uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's what my dad threw in. Would oh, you do realize there was a song written about me in the '60s? And Larry said, "Perfect, you know, find it and we'll redo it." So that's one of them, and it's got quite a lot of harmonica on it, which Here we is go. quite rare. This is Alabama Three. <laughs>
3: Their mind. And his firm they pulled the greatest turn the world has ever known. Two million quid was stolen, the firm split for parts unknown. Have you seen Bruce Richard Reynolds? He's a man we must detain. He's wanted for the robbery of the Glasgow Houston train. Age 32, height six foot one, as his hair is brown. Every him Bruce Richard Reynolds. while doing bird and wormwood scrubs he heard about a turn so robert's rain but it needed brain so reynolds scratched his head when i done my bird i'll rob that train that's what he said when Reynolds left his prison cell, he started on his scheme He contacted Gordon G and Tommy Whispy's team They came to an arrangement and a partnership was made By summer 63, the scene was set for Reynolds uh-huh. made. Full of money was stolen by the team, But someone left his fingerprints, and the guys were so no charge. But they'd only caught the muscle cars, the brains
0: were still at large, yeah!
3: Walls, they do not bother me. I robbed the mail, so I robbed the jails and set my whole firm free. By August 64, old Charlie Wilson left the sale. By late 65, Rob Big said "And he owes as well. Have you seen Bruce Richard Reynolds? He's a mastermind, you know. Just walking through the walls of jails and letting his firm go.
0: Have you seen Bruce Richard Reynolds by Alabama Three? You said there were nine people in Alabama Three. Why yeah. are they called Alabama Three? That's been intriguing me. Um,
4: you know, Guilford Four, Burnham yeah. Six. You know all about Paddy Hill and Jerry Connolly, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah, who were good friends of ours. You know, rest in peace, Jerry. And it was really because of them. Um, but there was a case in Alabama called the Alabama Three, and it was uh, two black kids and a white kid, or two white kids and a black kid. I can't remember. Um, And they got accused of uh, rape, and they got done by a lynch mob, and they were known as the Alabama Three. So the thing is, Alabama Three is a very political band anyway. So it's a kind of metaphor or reference to the fact that we stand for wrongdoings, miscarriages of justice, which is how we got involved with the miscarriages of justice, which Paddy Hill was one of the Birmingham Six. he used to run. We sing about America through a glass, eye darkly, if you like, but there's a lot of satire in what we do, which is why when we went to America... Um, on the back I woke up this morning they booked us in the stadiums and you got all these guys dressed up in mafia suits where Alabama 3 all looked like a bunch of faggy cowboys you know yeah. <laughs> on, on on smack yeah. yeah taking the Which piss the redneck no they didn't like it they yeah. thought we were going to walk out in gangster suits they didn't yeah. realise but see America's... There's no irony. I'm, I'm not going to... Sarcasm
0: and you know, irony. They're not
4: good. Yeah, I'm not going to start slagging Americans no, off. I could start I all night. I there for nine yeah. years I, I'm slagging. Well, do you know what I mean? Well, I've spent a lot of time out there. I, I, I won't go on about their general IQ level, but the yeah. thing is, is uh, they if they'd done their research, they would have realised that Woke Up This Morning, Get Yourself a Gun, is not a gangster fucking al- anthem. Yeah. It's actually about a woman called Sarah Thornton who got so sick of getting the shit kicked out of her by a husband policeman that one day in self-defence, she took his gun and shot him.
0: I did not know that. So it's myself. about
4: female empowerment, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Most people just know it's a soprano song. That's
4: it, get, <laughs> get, yourself, get yourself a gun. I mean, even Nas sampled it, you know, yeah, get yourself yeah. a gun. It's like, no, that's not what it's about. It's not what we're about. Um, Do we co-
0: We come back to the whole music bit? Because I want to just finish off on the school, the college and what what the happened beatings, then? The beatings, yeah, the canings, the canings. Yeah. What, what, what did you get that? You,
4: did you get that in Ireland? I actually. Oh, and the other thing, yeah, especially in Ireland, mm-hmm. the, the priest that we had there as well, because we had our own church there, and he got slung out for nonsense. Obviously, yeah. it was a boarding school back in those days. There was all sorts of stuff going on, and uh, and you've got the big scandal with well, the Catholic Church in, in I Ireland. Was, I, was I know. It. I
0: was flying in from New York when I was living over there, coming home for Christmas, and you know the way they have these little. Uh, you know corrections. You know in, in, in the Wall Street Journal or something like you know we, we fucked up on this. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, but I'm really yeah, small. small I, yeah. I've got one of those when yeah. I sued Piers Morgan. Yeah. But that's another yeah. story. <laughs> well, we talk about that. i mean, I'm interested in that. But you know, um, there was a correction that says our article about paedophilia in the priesthood in Ireland incorrectly said hundreds of thousands of children were affected. It was in fact tens of thousands. Oh, okay. What's the <laughs> in a population <laughs> of three million. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it was pretty serious. Yeah. No, and again, you grow. I grew up with it. I didn't. I was in an opus day school, uh, who are you know uh, dodgy, but I didn't have any noncing, as you would put it, going Uh, on. But there was. You you, 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 you were never nonced. No, I'm surprised there wasn't. If someone said to me there was, I go, yeah, I'm not surprised. But I didn't hear of any. To be fair to them, I know four or five. All, mainly boys, by the way. I have this great theory. You might like this, which was. If you think about Ireland in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, there was no such thing as homosexuality. There was no gayness. Yeah. Gay was not a thing. Now, gay was clearly a thing. There were there were men who were gay, but didn't know what gay was. Right? Yeah. There was also this thing where you you'd be a kid, you'd go and you say, "How do you know if you're going to be a priest, Father?" Right? You'd be five or six. Oh, God will send you a sign, my child, and you will, will know this that you. And you go, yeah, okay. There's
4: also the sign that you fancy boys. So, so my no, my theory,
0: <laughs> my theory. Is that particularly in Ireland, the sign that a boy of 15 or 14 or 13 wants to be in the church is that he's he's not interested in
4: women? Okay, yeah, all right. And
0: unbeknownst to themselves, the Catholic Church were hoovering up all of the gay men in Ireland (laughs) to become priests. Okay, I mean it's a it's yeah, a fucking it's, solid it's theory. Not, it's
4: not a theory, but and and it lets the Catholic Church off the hook. And, well, I no, suppose they not, don't buy we're that we're not letting you, them up that. Up. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> so
0: the so the so the the seminary goes in at seventeen. He doesn't like women. He's pure. He's not a he's not a not, he's not like dodgy. He's showering amongst men. He's playing rough and tumble football, running whatever. He's learning about the ways of God, but biologically the man, the seminarian, is attracted to other men and is around, surrounded by other men. This is, this is actually my theory. Yeah, I haven't yeah, heard this. No, it, it, and so you end up it's got with wheels. 10% of priests being actively homosexual in the only way they can. They're usually around children. But there's very few priests in Ireland that nonst I'm going to use your word because I quite like it, girls.
4: These but if we, really if, if we cast the clock back to when Constantine decided, right, for better or yeah. worse, my empire's going to collapse unless I ad- adopt this Christianity thing. Yeah. Came up with all the books and all the texts and thought, you know, what's the thing that we're going to put out as our one book that keeps everyone happy and came up with the Roman Catholic Church, yeah. you know, their version of Christianity. The first thing that they did... You know, a lot of people know this. Is, is a lot of Christian symbols all comes from pagan iconography yeah, anyway, yeah. because they had to say, "Look, it's the same as what you believe in. It's Easter, just a different yeah, name." Yeah. You know, we call it this, but it's all the same, so it doesn't matter. You know, their culture at the time, Constantine, all his buddies, they weren't gay but they all had boy lovers. Yeah, yeah. They, they were from a time Ancient when... Greeks, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, Yeah. So, you know, you were assigned a boy for, mm. for a certain amount of years, and it was a boy's schooling. You know, wives for children and status, and boys for pleasure. And so you got the people who put the Roman Catholic Church together, including Constantine, the first thing they did was outlaw women. So in, in all of pagan mythology, the, the you know, the feminine is up there with it's the masculine. King, yeah. You know, great, yeah. they're, they're balanced. Yeah. Earth... Was a mother, the sky, of the heavens yeah. was the male they completely obliterated the feminine aspect they invented the whole thing about Adam being cast out of the Garden of Eden because of her yeah. as tempting invented the whole thing about it 's women 's guilt because what they 've done was they get periods, so obviously that 's going to come through all the so way through speak. the church anyway that women are, yeah <laughs> that that women are unclean or they're not good for man and so they're more likely to stick to each other. I mean yeah. I think I think this is something they created that goes back to that but it also ties up with what you know
0: yeah.
4: to a degree. Anyway, my religion. Theory, yeah. Never talk about religion.
0: Well, no, we do on this podcast. So anyway, you're in college, uh you're No, you, you're college. not. You're in school. Did you school. Go, did you and you left and then what happened then?
4: I left school, uh, all my mates Where I was living, I was living in Streatham then, and uh, most of them were in gangs and kind of getting locked up left, right and centre, and I just thought, this isn't for me, what am I going to do? And so I joined the Navy. What age were you when you joined the Navy? 17. Right. Where did you go? Falklands? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. (laughs) Everything was good up to the Falklands. I mean, I must have been to America about a dozen times before that. All over Europe, the Antilles, the West Indies. Did you enjoy it? Well, I loved it up until... um, Because, obviously, I've always got ants in my pants because of my dad, I guess, moving around all the time. So I enjoyed the Navy at first until I went down the Falklands, you know. I didn't sign up to be a hero or to go to war. I just thought it's a way... To get an education and see the world, mm. and to get out of the shithole that I was living in in London at the time. Mm. Um, by then, you know, my dad was still in prison. My mum had divorced my dad. She'd had a series of nervous breakdowns and had a severe drink problem. I couldn't stand the guy, um, and I just thought, you know, I've just got to get out of this scenario. The guy she was with after, yeah, it, yeah, yeah very, 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 very nasty, violent man. And so I just thought, right, we've got to get out of this. Get out of the scene. It was also my visit my dad in prison for 10 years, we had all these plans of what we were going to do when he came out. And I think I had a bit of a panic thinking uh, that that had kept me going all of those years, thinking everything will be all right when my dad comes out of prison, everything's going to be fine, mm. we can start up again. And, and that enabled me to go through a lot of very difficult kind of situations growing up. Um, and then I realised I'd kind of put him on a bit of a pedestal and thought, what what happens if, when he comes out, we're just put together and it doesn't work out? And I think I kind of panicked about that a little bit. I thought, well, how can I give us a bit of time? So ironically, as he came out of prison, I voluntarily put myself in one in, yeah. in the ship. But it worked because it's the year I did my training, I still got to see him every weekend. And uh, he would come down to Portsmouth. And then I got to travel a lot as well, you know. So it, it, it was good until I went down to the Falklands. And So then, we're you
0: know, talking like uh, February, March 82, roughly, Falklands War, right? Yeah. Tell me what it was like.
4: It was shit. It was horrible. I mean, the weather conditions were one thing. I mean, I'm, I'm unbelievable weather conditions. Did you feel you were
0: genuinely in a war? Because it was like over here, like you, you had the gotcha Belgrano thing. And What age was I? I was 14 when yeah. that happened. And, I, you know, it was being Irish... We used to go around calling it Las Malvinas and blah blah blah. And, yeah. You know we have issues, as you know. But you, you fucking what? Well, exactly. I, I'm not afraid to say that. You, you know why I I'd say that? <laughs> yeah, but, but like it was, it was almost like the first. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say it was a, the first tabloid war.
4: It was. It was a tabloid. war. Well, it war. wasn't. It wasn't Vietnam. Not for war. you. There. Vietnam, Vietnam was. There. was well, one I said yeah. it was a
0: tabloid war. There was no like whatever.
4: It was, oh, it was total it was, jingoistic. Yeah. You and, know, and, and, up, up your junta. Up your junta. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I
0: and you know, whatever, a few hundred sailors died in yeah. the Belgrade. I mean,
4: were, were you, yeah, they did. Well, no, because the, the thing was, is I was on the flagship, I was on the Hermes. So, twice a day, we were they Argentine, the Argentinians threw everything they had at us. If they sunk us, it was game over. Six o'clock every day, every night, we got bombed, hit the deck, hit the deck. I was up on the was radar. that an aircraft
0: carrier, yeah, yeah.
4: Hermes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so
0: your guys would scramble and they'd just be a dogfight in the air and hope they wouldn't fucking sink your ship.
4: Yeah, basically, yeah. And, uh, access stations, access stations. Well, in that that, that particular time, I was running the TV station. 2000 people on board. That's a lot of TV sets. 2000 people on board. Yeah. I was looking after the BBC crew and the ITN crew, which was Brian Hanrahan and uh, Nicholson. Mike Nicholson? Yeah, Mike Nicholson. They had one cameraman with them, a guy called Bernard Hesketh. He was a great guy. He'd been a veteran. He'd filmed 140 wars, this guy. So they shared one cameraman with them, and every morning they get kitted up, and they go off and do their little bit of filming, and then it gets sent to me. I'd have a quick look at it, make sure it was all right. Then I'd send it back you know arrange a, a range of helicopter and they would ferry it by hopping from other ships to ships to ships and finally it would get onto a boat going back to ascension isle or whatever and then it would get back to england and then we'd see it a few weeks later once it had been edited i mean that's another story once i saw the power of spin
0: yeah. it just
4: made me remember what my dad said you know that the first casualty of war is the truth so, and that and that is when i i, I really lost interest in the Navy, and i realized it was all absolute bollocks really but uh, i was up on the radar deck when, um, because
0: Mackenzie was Mackenzie was in the sun newspaper in that book up your junta he had he had a, uh, a, a reporters on the ground of buenos aires who were filing reports that were the truth and he was just putting them in the bin and writing fucking cartoon style headlines. yeah well, there's a
4: lot of, obviously the thing is is that there was stuff they couldn't put out you know like when okay. when, when, h, yeah. when h got killed you know the argies waved the white flag and h the head of two power got up to go and, you know, accept their,
0: he got shot on the way. Yeah. And
4: then fucking sniper did him. So after that, paras went mad and uh, they were not like, slicing off ears and everything keeping yeah. them as souvenirs and body parts and things And obviously that was crushed but when you're in the state of war you're in the state of war you know um did you but feel it was what,
0: futile while you were there or? well no it
4: was, it, it was all about the oil once again which they still haven't got up yet but they've now found that there's there's more oil on on land there than we've got all around in the north Is that sea. Really? Oh, yeah it was always about the oil but not only that when it first kicked off, when the RGs took over South Georgia, which is uh, another little yeah. whaling station, but I think 14 Marine Station there was something, and they just steamed in, stuck the Argentine flag up. We had a boat out there, a, a survey vessel, which reported all these activities going on. And Thatcher was aware of it and was trying to work out what to do. And it was the warming stuff. And he turned around to her and said, you know what? let's just let this play out a little bit. Because she's going, this is outrageous. Let's go down there and teach them a lesson. And they said, well, no, actually, let's just wait and see how this plays. Because she was losing favour at the time. There's no way she'd have got the next election. He said, we play this right. We can use this to your advantage. And there's an opportunity. And it was deliberately let to escalate. So that she did have a good excuse to yeah. kind of go to town, and and the whole thing really was was about her. She wanted to be a sort of a bit of a female church, if would get, and and to a degree it worked. England was no, galvanised, you know. I mean, yeah, it took, it, it, it took totally got great work. It was yeah. not
0: long after the hunger strike situation in Northern Ireland, right, which was yeah. a real failure for her. For the first time, she got the South galvanised uh, the nationalist south galvanised because she had her famous out 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 speech and Bobby Sands and all that which was 81 and it did it got her back into power did you feel you were going to die
4: oh yeah many times see the thing on the way down there we all gung ho yeah bloody Argies, oh, how dare they you know they were yeah. steam in there whatever then it was all hurrah hurrah you know Vulcan bombers we've done the the main runway you know yeah. huh? that's put an end to all of their aeroplanes well we missed <laughs> it took him one day to fill in the one bomb that did. <laughs> so that was a waste of time that yeah. was celebrated, you know, yeah. and made a big deal of. But when the Sheffield got hit, that was the thing. And I was up on the deck. I saw that happen, and I saw the people get brought in. And the mood on board, just that moment, was like, oh, my God, what are we doing? We're going to fucking die out here. This is insane. It's real. Going the other side of the planet, where we got no backup, no support. America wouldn't help us at the yeah. time, because politically it was very delicate for them america south america most of the world
0: just said you guys sort that out exactly
4: but it was only when you know we could (laughs) prove to the americans that the the russians were behind it mainly because they wanted to stick a russian base (laughs) you know and they'd done all sorts of deals with the argentinians and you know i saw it with my own eyes they had all the best arctic russian gear the shit we was wearing was the same that scott the antarctic was issued (laughs) I'm not kidding you. I hadn't heard the Russian I'm not kidding you. I hadn't but, heard that story. The, the stuff we was wearing was the same issue that he'd had 100 years ago. Nasty, nasty oil jumpers wrapped in greaseproof paper in cardboard boxes. Even the boots were made of a compressed cardboard. Completely unsuitable for the terrain, the climate. Yet the Argies, yeah, they were under-trained and they were bloody starving off them by the time, you know, the length of time they'd been out there. But, best boots best kit they were all kitted out by the Russians mm-hmm. and the Russians were giving them satellite information it was only at that point uh, when that could be proved that America then realised you know never mind upsetting our southern neighbours if this it is Russia playing a little hand yeah. we've already had this with Vietnam etc etc and Cuba and so they started giving us satellite information which they weren't going to do beforehand I thought it would put, it would make an unfair Maybe It was a
0: short war, six it was, it was
4: unsustainable. I yeah. mean, the thing is, is that by the end of it, we had completely wiped out their air force. They w- didn't have any pilots left. Uh, I mean, I think, I think they were the, a
0: basket case of an economy anyway. Which is, yeah. to your point about where they got all the gear. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, as, as I said, but I mates, right, yeah. um, I wouldn't say mates, mates, people that I knew. And there yeah. was a character, a marine called Kovacs, that I thought was fucking. It, great guy he was always getting into trouble and every day it's like Marine Kovacs report to the, you know, and it's just ah, oh, what's he done now and everything like that and when they read out, you know, every, every day a load of them would leave in helicopters and go over and come back and when it was like, he didn't make it back, that was like, mm. the weird thing is, is that once you've gone through that thing where you're going to die, and I mean, there's, there's a time, there's a guy I hated, the name guy was Jock Steele, and my action station when you asked me what did I do, it wasn't just the TV thing uh, I was also a diver. I was one of five divers on the on the Hermes. So you Taking got that. Mines so you and... got that side of yeah for mines and take readings all the time of prop shafts, poker gauge readings, make sure that the shafts aren't wearing down irregularly. And there, there's a lot of intelligence equipment underneath yeah. the ship. You know, the sonar and and also you've got your little electric cathode things which stop uh, marine animals planting themselves on it. Ducks, vents, yeah. all things that you need to kind of check and stuff. I was an electrical weapons engineer. You had twelve different stations, and that could be sonar, radar, ICS communications, or the TV studio. And you was on a three-four month rotation, but it was the best one to get because it was fun. So we do little news skits and stuff like that. And that's when I started doing music with a mate of ah, mine. Okay, we'll get back to that. But there was a guy I couldn't stand, a guy called Jock Steele, and it so happened my action stations when it went. Bah, 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 actually, as you had seven minutes. To shut down the whole ship and everything, where everything's sealed up. And, no, I want to talk about? Seven minutes. Yeah, two minutes. Say, two yeah. minutes. No, I think seven minutes should be dead. About two, well, I'm going back what, over 20, yeah. 30 years. Old. <laughs> um, anyway, it so happened that my action station, tiny little room with a few bits of equipment in it, and mine was with him, of all people. You know, maybe of had action stations, wanted to lock down and be in this little place. And I'm sat there with him, the amount of times where he did it's like, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. hit the deck, hit the deck, you know, and you kind of think, fucking hell, it's, you know, et and incoming, incoming, and you're on the floor. And there was one particular time, and we're waiting to hear our harriers take off, it's incoming, we're going, fucking, I'm going, why aren't you taking off it, why aren't you taking off it? And it's like that, and we're waiting to hear the thing, you know, because we were up in the island where the office was, which is by the flight deck. And at anyway, one particular time, and it said, so-and-so's been hit, so-and-so's been hit, and uh we've got Super Dar on radar, we've got exocets on radar, and it was hit the deck. And I looked at him, and this time I really thought, fucking, that's it, we've lost our goalkeeper, that's been fucking blown up. Yeah. We've got no defence now. He was out under the table, I was sat in a filing cabinet, <laughs> and we, we, we thought actually we were quite safe being up in the island, you know, at least we're away from the armour and everything, that. so we thought, well, we found out afterwards that there was a secret stash of um Sidewinder torpedoes that had been appropriate in, in the, the room appropriate, right, under, no, right underneath <laughs> us, You know. but I had that really cheesy classic moment whereas we looked at each other and thought any minute now it's going to go kaboom and, it, and I looked at him and I said do you know what Jock you ain't that bad and he goes neither are you and we shook hands. Mm. It's like if we get out if we get out of this we should have a drink and all of that you know wow. of course hit the day hit the day da 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 da, 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 da. Then it said <laughs> Glamorgan's been hit I think it was Glamorgan Glamorgan's been hit and it was like right it missed us it got that one fucking hell and I looked at him I didn't mean a word of that. no neither did no, I it, 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 it was, it was one of well, the. but you know bit. you did you know you did play your second song of the podcast second song second song well, this, this is going to sound like it's all on a bit of a, a dad prison theme here uh, okay uh, let the cage bird sing it's, it's a song we always used to dedicate to Paddy Hill and it's, it's quite self explanatory really
5: Missionary, she had a body of a nun. In the fumblings of their union, they find a the key to kingdom come. Order a bird in a silver cage for right? blessed company. Cause you knew one day they're to lock the door, they're gonna throw away the key. Blow out the candles, morning's moving in. Flowers bloom on out the dress now in the cage bird. yeah. Let the cage birds sing, let the cage birds sing, yeah. let the cage birds sing. Well, the government called them terrorists, all the people, they called them saints. They lost the plot, they kept moving, looking for heaven's gate, yeah. Stole a car, they got as far as a motel on Damascus Road. The TV screen threw back their dreams as the cathode ray exploded. Oh, the candle. More wings, more wind, yeah. Blow out the candles More winds moving in Flowers bloom on Alcatraz now, let the cage bird Sing, yeah Let the cage bird sing Let the cage bird sing, yeah
0: So that was Let the cage Birds Sing by Alabama 3. Let's get, finally, I did not expect this uh, chat to go the way it went. I thought I'd be talking to a musician tonight. Talk me through now how you became part of the Alabama 3 and got into music and everything. The Falklands okay. was over, you came home. Okay,
4: well, it was when I was down to Falklands, really. Obviously, you got hours and hours and hours and hours where you're just sat doing bugger all, basically. Just sat in a control room for hours on end on your own. And uh, I was going out with this girl in, uh, in in Little Venice. She was not by blood, but she was kind of more or less Richard Branson's niece. He He lived on a boat two boats up. And the boat that she lived on with her family, he'd given to them okay. because he was good mates with her mum. You know, they'd lived for years on the canal before he'd made it big. She used to play guitar and harmonica. And so I bought her a Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee record for Christmas, not knowing who the hell they were. But I saw on the cover, there's a guy with a harmonica and a guy with a guitar. And, you know, I thought she might like this. And I fell in love with the record myself. She bought then bought me a harmonica. So, like, hours and hours on board, nothing to do in the middle of the night. I thought, you know, i would try and teach myself that. And I played guitar a little bit as a kid. Couldn't believe how bloody difficult it was. I didn't know about keys or anything then, so you know. So then I got to learn about keys. Then I met this guy in the navy who'd who'd been in a band and he wanted to form a band together. So because I was doing the TV studio, you know, and we used to film the the vicar every night and he'd do his day-to-day news, etc., etc. And at the end of it, we used to do a little music thing till we got banned because we did an anti-officer song. But then whenever he was on tour in America. We'd set up gigs, me and him. Right. But we got into a lot of trouble. We used to get into a lot of fights and eventually he got, he got kicked out. So that was the end of that. When I came back from the Falklands, so I was living on, on the boat in Little Venice and there was a pub there and the whole area around there was all famous semi-retired rock stars. Dave Gormor had a house there and you know I could go on and on and on. But there was a pub there where they decided that they would start doing music. And so they got all the locals, and I don't ever heard of a band called the Pretty Things. They were perceived as the first bad boys of rock, and Phil May, the singer, had the longest hair and rock and roll. Right. And it was they were the original lock up your daughters. Would you want them going out with the pretty thing kind of thing right. before the Rolling Stones? Okay. But they're all mates, and they even interchange members at one point. In fact, Dick Taylor, the guitarist of the Pretty Things, um, was originally the bass player of the Rolling Stones, and they were one of. David Bowie's favourite band, which is why on Pin Ups, yes. oh, you pretty things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Moving forward, they disbanded and then they got back together in the 80s, just at the time and I come back from the Falklands. So they were playing in this thing. So I joined them then, and the line up was bloody spectacular. Ian Stewart, who was the original member of the Rolling Stones, who'd got sidelined by Andrew Lou Goldman for not being attractive enough. He ended up being the tour manager, but he was a great, great boogie-woogie pianist, right. and he's on all the early albums. He was on keyboards. The bass player was a guy called Dave Winter, who was, had been Neil Sedaka's bass player. Two drummers, one was called Willie The Wall Wilson. and he, he was the guy that Nick Mason's not too good with the old click track from Pink Floyd, so when you're seeing them live, sorry Nick, but it'd be Willie The Wall Behind the wall, playing most of the drums. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that. I let a secret out there. <laughs> uh, all you Pink Floyd fans will be pissed off. <laughs> Dave Gilmore was there the guitarist. We. Ralph Ravenscroft, the sax player who did... <laughs> bah, 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 uh, uh, Joe Rafferty's Baker Street.
0: Baker Street, yeah. yeah. He
4: was in it. Um, <laughs> the other guitarist was Hugh Lloyd Langton from Hawkwind. And the other drummer was Mike Giles from King Crimson, which was like one of my favourite bands at the time. And he was bonkers. He'd just be playing and then do a completely different shuffle to throw everyone off and think it was funny. But and this band. So there's this supergroup and me.
2: Yeah.
4: On harmonica, yeah. And, and, and that started the love affair, really. And so I was with them for like nearly two years. And then I got drafted from Naval Intelligence back down the bloody Falklands again. And that's when I saw... Yeah, but it was unfortunate. There's only me and another guy of the rank that I had. I was like, a, I knew the equivalent of a corporal or something. Um, it's, it turned out that there was only two people trained up on this particular bit of hush-hush equipment. And he'd done his six months down there. There wasn't anyone who replace him. So I had to go down there despite the fact that I'd been told I'd never go down there again. Um, and that's when I just thought, this is bollocks, you know, I've already wasted eight months down there, I don't want to go down there again. And it was pointless just going round and round and round this island, particularly though I didn't particularly agree with it by then anyway. And so I, I came out and went straight to Australia with the guy I had the band with in the Navy, you know, doing the TV stuff. Then he got a really bad drug addiction and I couldn't handle that anymore. So then How I were came you and all on drugs and all, all that, was it? the thing was i mean back in those days i was a lunatic speed freak um i guess cocaine thankfully is never really doesn't work on me me, thank god you know i I think it should only be given to women (laughs) 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 most of my pals i'm in the music business as you know in fact the film business every bloody business business they're they're, they're all fucking charlie out of their brains it's part and parcel of it the stock market you know everything and in a room full of people on coke, all you can hear is me, 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 yeah, me, me. It's correct. pointless. It just makes you drink ten times more yeah. and you talk, talk shit. Great. No one's listening. Unless I'm missing something, it just no, doesn't work like for me. But, me. but I look at some people, I think you've spent your whole career and all your money and everything throwing it all away because that's all you care about. But you're also not... What a, does it do yeah, but to you're, you, you that you're you're it also, doesn't al- work for me?
0: You're also... Like, I can talk for Ireland. You're, you're a raconteur. You can talk and you're confident. And I, I do see a lot of my friends who... Are maybe shy and who are retiring. When they take it, they become confident and so that's friends. why it makes a bad I can see, I can see. Oh, yeah, I see why he does it, but you know, it's not really, it's not the real him. It's a facade yeah. that he puts on. I, I prefer to just go. I prefer to just go. No, this is me, and I, I'll drink until I keel over. But like that's me. You know? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's it, a different
4: it, yeah, I drink too much, and and, and I like my herb. Yeah, no, the hard stuff. Now I'm. I'm, I think, yeah, fifty-six. I think in in a couple of months, and I'm just thinking. Yeah. And
0: so, like, you met this girl
4: with the harmonica and stuff. But did did you have? Did you marry her, or what what happened? No, no, I didn't. I didn't marry her. No, I've never got married. But I've got kids. You on that? I've got kids. Yeah, I've got two boys, Otto and Ziggy. Love Um, the names. They're very cool, and they were brought up uh, in the Caribbean, um, in Tobago. The mum's dad was from Trinidad. He had a business over there and he bought a lot of land so we went over and we built some guest houses out there and then the kids were born and they lived out there then basically well. We weren't particularly getting on. It was a bit of a a jump for me going back and forth. I didn't like being out there to be honest. I mean there's nothing to do. I went mad. I mean uh, I just used to sit with the fishermen every night and during the day I'd either go walking with the kids for miles until they was at school or um, I'd just collect driftwood because I had a very busy life back home in in, in England, and I was rotting when I was, at, I'd go over there.
0: So then, the, how did the Alabama Three then take shape? Um, well,
4: it? I used to run a nightclub um called the Tardis. Uh, it was quite a famous place in Clerkenwell. Was
0: it bigger on the inside?
4: Well, it was, yeah, because Sorry, for, was no, but no, but it was. <laughs> it, 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 you may laugh, but you know, it was. It was about 100 yards long. We had seven levels. The main room, we had 60-foot ceilings with trees. Trees for London did a party there and gave... We said there on the promise that you put the trees in. So I've got this nightclub. We've got a party going on. And this guy comes up to me. And it's one of the guys who ran Mojo with Paddy Hill, a guy called John McManus. We gave them an office um, at the TARDIS Studios. Because Mojo were doing gigs for Alabama 3 and I wasn't really aware of them, but John McManus was constantly playing them, you know, and I was going, I can't stand this band, bloody country sort of thing, you know, and of course you get playing it like anything, you get an earworm, don't you, and then you start going, this is a white kind of thing, so he brought him along, Larry Love, the lead singer, and I was Great chatting name. at the bar. Is that his real uh, name? Well, no, his real name is yeah. Robert... His Robert real name is David Smith. <laughs> real name Robert Sprague. Okay, that's and he's not bad that either. Yeah, but he's from Wales, and a Sprague is a pit prop, which uh, is kind of, yeah. anyway. anyway... Is it Not as good. Well, everyone in Alabama 3 has a, has a, has a ah. pseudonym. You What's know, yours? A nom de plume. Um, Harpo Strangelove. <laughs> What are you laughing at? It's ridiculous. <laughs> of course it's ridiculous. I don't think Ala- this, man. Alabama life. 3 fucking ridiculous. Hear. I know, it's great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so anyway, so he's, a, he's at the bar and he goes, oh, so tells me, you know, you can play harmonica and stuff like that. And, well, I didn't, oh, what well, I've totally left out. Well, I was in a pop band in the 90s. That's another bloody story. Um, well, who were they? Uh, yeah, well, we had, we had two top 40 hits and kind of toured yeah. all over the place for a while. Well, they were called Octopus. EMI spent absolute fortunes on us. All ended up in tears. We never delivered. Everyone lost the plot, including, well, mainly our producer. I mean, I could go on. I mean, that's a story in itself, but they cut us loose. I think we're officially known as the band that killed Britpop. Not a know. bad thing. No, not a bad thing. But our point of Alabama 3 is they were a Brit pop band as well. But because everyone was waving the Union Jack and kind of nodding to everything, that was kind of great about being British. Blur nodding to Ray Davis of the yeah, Kinks and yeah. you got Oasis nodding to the Beatles. Yeah. That's all that great when Brit was fab.
0: Genuflecting.
4: Yes, that's the one. Uh, indeed. And <laughs> In Alabama they were thinking, oh, we can't just go out and do this. So they decided to put on an American Persona. And all have silly names and all sing and talk with American accents. Really? So much so that today people still think well, America American, yeah. It was a joke as a kind yeah, of yeah. a piss take at all the people as trying to be earlier, terribly so British.
0: As we discussed earlier, a joke completely lost when you went to America because they Yeah went, well, the
4: joke the joke there didn't it didn't work. Anyway, so you so said it was a bit to of
0: successful venture.
4: Uh well uh. As our managers keep telling us, we, 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 instead of complaining all the time, we should be happy and grateful that the fact we haven't had a hit record in years, we're still touring, still doing all the festivals every year. We still put an album out what do you every feel, year. What
0: do you feel is your big appeal as a band? You have, uh, you have a loyal... Base
4: though, right? yeah, because we've been going a long time. We've got a very, 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 very loyal. People grow old threes. with you as a central But They have done, do and, and, and and they introduce their children and their children's children. It's kind of like we've <laughs> become a family, father's family father's band. Father's yeah, Alabama yeah. Three is just not for Christmas, you know. Right. I, I don't know why. There's something infectious about the band. I suppose. I mean, a lot of people like the lyrics, which have got nothing to do with me. Do you love it? Yeah, uh, like you. you how, how
0: long have you been in this band?
4: Like we're we in that 2018, 18 yeah. years. 18 years. Is it a good
0: way to spend 18 years?
4: I'm yeah, I yeah. moan and bitch all the bloody yeah. time. But I, 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 I guess, I, well, that's the problem when it, it becomes a job. Um, I mean, the thing is, we, we're lucky that we go out in two formats. We go out as a four piece and as a nine piece. Seems like I was on in the Navy and in ships and was a diver. You wouldn't think I'm claustrophobic. But as I'm getting older, I'm starting to not like people in my space too much. Yeah. But generally we play smaller venues, that's the point of it, because it's quite, you know, we can only play big venues with nine people, we've got a lot of kits. it's a big, big sound, and so the only way it can be economically viable is that you have to play big venues, and you can't do too many of them a year, so to keep the kind of the faith going, keep the flag waving, we do little small ones.
0: Did you ever nearly break up, or have you had... Come back together, or oh, there's, it's a rare. It's rare for a band to stay together that long.
4: It is, it is, I, and I don't. Know, I, what, I, what do you put I, that down
0: to?
4: There's something very infectious about our grand leader Larry Love. I think he, he, he's a good shepherd, even though I think everyone in the band secretly hates him. Yeah, but that's that's good. He, yeah, he, he's a love hate. It's a love hate. <laughs> so he, he, he gets away with murder, <laughs> but he's incredibly magnetic. I don't know. Maybe it's the work. It's the invested work put in. I think generally everyone is actually quite proud of, of what they've done with the music. A lot of people can't believe we're not bigger than what we are. Mm. Uh, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that The Guardian, The Guardian of all people, said we're the best live bands um, in England. And we've got we ha- well, know, festivals. i you know see you next week. You're, you're yeah. touring at the That's moment. That's it, yeah, 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 yeah. That's it, we're touring. This is Larry's latest mad idea. Well, a couple of years ago, he upset everyone by saying, I've got this concept for a triple album. And it's all going to be based on the Wombles. I, I said, are you kidding? We're supposed to be kind of like hardcore, radical, left-wing. You're left Aronoko, aren't you? You're huh? Aronoko. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> You're Madame Cholet then. Oh,
0: <laughs> the Madame Cholet <laughs> podcast. Yeah.
4: Now, to- now, now, <laughs> now polish this. This is the ABC...
0: Acid Blues Country album, which we're going to close on a song from
4: it. A- yeah, well, but it, this is Larry's latest idea. I said yeah. he wanted to do a Womble trilogy, and um, we got as far as the men from Womble, the women from Womble. Then we basically had a mutiny and said, You're not going to. By the way, Womble is an acronym for World of Militant Beat Liberating Executioners. Okay. Because we're underground, man. Yeah. Get it? Yeah, well, that, that was his whole premise. And you're Free. Yeah, that was his <laughs> whole premise. So he managed to get two hours before he said, No way. So he's so pissed off about this he's obsessed he wants to do his triple album so I think to, to go with this tour
0: in a, in a climate where, where there's not even so much as a fucking EP you're producing a triple yeah. album well, that's it what, And that's it's sagging. that is sagging. it's, it's the I'm ABC saying.
4: of Alabama 3 Acid Blues Country alright we're going to so close the album, yeah, we're going to close
0: on one of those songs but before you go I want right. to ask you one question and I ask this of everybody and I have no fucking idea why you're going to say to this You have to either talk to the young Nick in his ear or a young kid today who's setting off. What have you learned? What is your wisdom that you want to pass back in a sentence, or two sentences, or three sentences? Become a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Best>. <laughs> possibly the best answer back to that from the
4: creative people I talked to play us
0: out on a song from ABC uh
4: ooh ooh yeah, oh, okay, but well, this is very apt. Just for us, sign up. I'm also in the process of doing a documentary on the life story of Brian Jones. It's 50 years ago next year since he was found murdered. Mm-hmm. He was oh, murdered. Really? Yeah. Wa- so yes, is that what the documentary is? Only partly. It's more really about the fact how he's been kind of whitewashed out of uh, you know his importance Makes to dagger, rock them, and roll. Um, I'm not saying <laughs> I can I'm not say saying. <laughs> yeah sue me
0: for all the wealth of my podcast
4: You're, you'll find the podcast has disappeared <laughs> Mick moves in mysterious ways I'm not joking mate I'm telling you they're like the mafia but anyway uh, uh, before I go missing And so we've done a song and it's about everyone knows who killed Brian Jones. I'm just trying to think of the proper title for it because we call it Brian Jones, it's called something else. And we've actually got a really good video with it which shows Orlando, our keyboard player, um as the devil killing all the famous people in rock, including Brian Jones. I'll never be satisfied.
0: I'll never be satisfied. I'll never be
4: satisfied, yeah. On also the blues album.
0: Brian Jones. Brian Jones and it's got from a great the new album. Yeah,
4: and it's a great video as well. By
0: Alabama three. The video you will find a link to in the blurb of this podcast. This was one of the most extraordinary podcasts I've had on a pint with Shawnee B. Thank you, Nick Reynolds. Bro for sharing your life with me. It has been a blast and a ride. And this is, and we're going to cheers. Because we are cheers, Sean. Drinking nice one, mate. Alabama 3, the Brian Jones song. Yeah.
5: People always asking me, what's the blues? Well, the blues is when you ain't got no money. The blues is when you're hot stepping out the French windows and you have left your crocodile shoes. Under another backdoor man's bed The blues is when you've had enough You cocky clock And declare to God And to the devil Let the party begin Everybody blames Billy Hyde and his pimp I was holding her hand she went limb, poor ain't he I never stood a chance. I switched to Dolly for adulterated under the counter brand. Loaded the bullets, clicked Capone's gun. Made damn sure Jim Morrison's bath was hot when it ran in a grand old Opry on that Saturday night. I got Hank Williams high when he took that last last drive out here. you be satisfied. Land with a pillow on Bowie, said, rise, Lazarus, rise I'm pulling the the super vicious is off I tied the rope around in curse, I walked on cool and calm. I left the soap on the floor, when Whitney Houston slept in the shower I'm a mystery man, shot two back, secure, I tear. i will
3: never be satisfied, I can't. I can't, I can't, no